That's kind of better than my yes ending, which was just, uh uh-huh. we're here. <laughs> here we are. <laughs> we are here in the Holy Land. I'm just going to repeat this. <laughs> yeah, it's appropriate because our first snow in New York City was yesterday. Oh, so nice. now it's, things are awful. It snowed here last week. But it didn't stick. But what was weird was, and I made this comment to my coworkers, and they all agreed with me, is that, like, the snow was huge. Like, none of it was sticking, but, like, coming out of the sky, I was like, this literally looks like the snow that's in the old movies, where they're like, we have to make sure the snow appears on camera. So it's these giant globs of snow that are just falling down. But it wasn't, like, heavy, like, it was, it just melted immediately. It wasn't, and it didn't, like, hurt when it hit you. It was just, like, giant snow blobs. That was weird. Very weird weather. It's nice that they were like, yeah, here's some snow, shut up. <laughs> and then it just went away. I mean, I prefer it like that than the year we got it on Halloween and we had to dismiss early on Halloween because it was snowing so bad. Did you do anything in the snow with your, the children? This, this year? No, yeah. it, none of it stuck. It, like, it literally was just falling. It melted immediately, you know? Once it does actually snow. I didn't know if you, had, snow, if you we'll... had like a magical moment of like, you took the kids out and you were like, look, kids. Snow. No, we usually usually what happens is the kids go, "Look, it's snowing," and then all the adults go, ah. <laughs> <laughs> "That's how it almost always will go." But yeah. Uh, What's your intro thing? Oh well, I, you kind of know this, but I went to the movies like I always do. But this is a rare occasion where there's a movie opening the day this podcast comes out that I've already seen and can drop takes on. So when I, I went to an advanced screening of Damien Chazelle's new movie, Babylon, and oh, I very yeah. purposely ignored most of Mark's questions for me because I figured, you know, I'm not going to have anything interesting to talk about on this Christmas episode, and it comes out the day Babylon comes out, so it could be cool for me to talk about it a little, even if it's our Christmas episode. Yeah. Um, Do you mind if I, tol- if I tell people the review that you did give, did give, Well, yes, I appreciated? But can- sure, go ahead and then I will... Then I will go into my spiel. What was my, I forget what I said. Oh, well, I don't know if it's... It's funny to me that I asked for details about the movie, and you just told me it's Wait. 189 minutes long, and Damien Chazelle has a hot wife. I'll get to that. <laughs> I'll get to his wife. But I did that's, <laughs> it's even funnier now that I'm saying it because of the other facts if, about the if, screening. Like, what, if, what if five years down the road you're auditioning for Damien Chazelle... And he's like, oh, yeah, you're great. Let me let me listen back to your podcast. And you just go, oh, yeah, Damien Chazelle has a hot wife. <laughs> well, I don't actually know if he has a hot wife or not. I didn't check. That's true. So he doesn't, he doesn't this know may be fake on a news. podcast with his horny for his wife. So <laughs> I'm not saying I'm no one's horny for anyone's wife. This is just something you said to me. This is true. I, I just think she's attractive. Anyway, let's, <laughs> let me get to the... Uh, okay. <laughs> 
<laughs> okay. But like, how do you even know this now? This is my big question. But anyway, tell your story. I'll get to that. Tell. I'll get to that. So I, I get an invite to the Music Box Theater. I'm a member there. And they go, we have a very special advanced screening of Babylon. Damien Chazelle, the writer and director, for listeners who don't know, and Diego Calva, who's the lead of this movie, his first big film. First film, I think, in general, where he's like, not just like, waiter you know like he has like a named role he was on narcos i believe um for six episodes but anyway um so i'm just saying he's not totally unknown he's not like a complete unknown he's just someone who's not in a lot of stuff anyway Mm -hmm. so this is announced the day i'm leaving to see my play in indiana ergo i don't notice the invite until four hours after it's sent out so i get on the wait list and i'm really grumpy that i don't think i'm gonna make it in but then I also don't care that much because I'm seeing my play be performed, so I'm like, eh, whatever. If I miss Babylon, I miss Babylon. I don't really care. Because Babylon is not really a movie I'm interested I wasn't inter- I'm not very interested in seeing. Like, I did not think it looked good. But I'm like, eh, it's free and it's early. And Damien Chazelle will be there. And I like him. So, well, I'd be interested to hear him do a Q&A. But anyway, so Wednesday comes around and I get an email saying, all right, we're opening up the wait list for people to come in. Uh, you can come. Uh, unfortunately, Damien Chazelle had to cancel, but don't worry, Diego Calva is still very excited to do Q&A. And I'm like, well, okay, I still want to see this early, so I don't care. So I, I RSVP for it, and I'll go see Babylon. So that night, I drive to the music box, I get off work a half hour early so I can get there on time, and I did get there on time. I have decent, I think I have decent seats. Like, it was a little towards the back, but it wasn't at the, it was like middle back, and a little to the side, but it wasn't too bad. Like, I've had worse seats to Music Box. That's all I mean. Um, How many seats are in the Music Box? 750 seats. <laughs> it is a huge theater. And one thing that I think is important to note about this screening is I was unaware of this until I got there, is that it was also a press screening. So, like, the good seats were all reserved for press. Which also makes sense, because it's like... I think... I believe it's only had one other screening. It's actually really funny. When you're... um. You're on Letterboxd and you like following the local critics, which I do because, you know, they run the festivals here and it's cool to follow like the local critics. You can tell immediately when like a screening happens here. Like, for example, last week when um, I saw two people log at once. So they saw Avatar The Way of Water. And I'm like, OK, so there was a critic screening here. Or more importantly, before I saw Babylon, like a week prior um, I saw four logs immediately go up for Babylon, all from Chicago critics. I'm like, okay, so the first Chicago screening just happened to Babylon. Cool. So I think this was the second screening. And anyway, so there's a cop at the music box uh, to make sure people going in or whatever. And then the other thing I think I, I really want to point out is that the line for concessions, which I did get in because I wanted to get some, con- I wanted to, I didn't eat much of a dinner, so I wanted to drink. Which wasn't a great idea for a three-hour movie, but you know what? I didn't pee at all during the movie. I was pretty proud of myself. Um, and then I got Swedish fish too. But the other thing I thought was funny was that there was about a 25-person line for the men's bathroom before the movie, which I've never seen before. <laughs> like, I've seen that at women's bathrooms because, you know, there are there's less capacity in there. But no, the men's bathroom was packed before Babylon because no one wanted to have to pee during it. Mm-hmm. Um that's like a, that's like a musical theater bathroom line. Yeah, yeah, but more. But it was very. I I've been in musical theater. I've never seen that big line for the men's bathroom. Honestly, mm-hmm. so 
movie's about to begin. The guy who programs the member screen its music box comes up on screen. Well, it comes to stage. He's not, he doesn't zoom in. He's there. And he goes, all right, guys, first off, um, this movie's three hours and nine minutes. And I just see the couple in front of me who's like my parents' age. and just go, what? I <laughs> was, was kind of a highlight of, of it. And then I also, then the guy up front goes like, now I know you all know Damien Chazelle couldn't make it. Unfortunately, never could do Kava. I'm really sorry for this. He actually words it differently. He's like, now you might think with this long runtime, you won't be able to sit around for Q&A afterwards. Well, don't worry. We're not having one. Is basically how he puts it. Because Diego Cava had to cancel. And then this guy in the front just yells, Show Moonlight! <laughs> just show it! <laughs> and honestly, they should... No, I'm kidding. Actually, I mean, Moonlight is a better film than Babylon. But that's kind of wrong. Wait, the, that's fake? Mo- I thought someone actually yelled that. No, no, no. I was going to say... I was going to say, well, actually, they should have. Uh, like, that's not true. Uh, Babel- I was happy to see Babylon. Um, so, Babylon... It's three hours and nine minutes long. And it's a really great movie for the first 135 minutes of it. Around that time is when the movie really starts to get tiring. Specifically whenever it cuts back to Margot Robbie or Brad Pitt's characters who... I think the movie... The movie to me is an 8 out of 10. And it could have been a four and a half or a 5 even with two key change. One is, don't make it so long. Like, I don't mind long movies. But the issue with this is that it is... Kind of, it's the type of humor that to me gets tiresome at a certain point. It's not like Wolf of Wall Street. I don't know. I don't really know how to describe it because it is kind of like Wolf of Wall Street. But I just got tired of it to the point where like around the time some of the last few joke set pieces happened, I was like, oh my gosh, like this isn't funny anymore. Just let me go. Just just finish this, please. Um, But the other big issue with it is that Margot Robbie and Brad Pitt, um, to ignore any Brad Pitt allegations, which leave women but also to ignore that even without that i think brad pitt and margot robbie are playing the most typecast versions of themselves in this that it is just really boring to see them in these roles mm-hmm. where it's like i don't need to see margot robbie play like ooh, she's a sex symbol on in early hollywood and she's rowdy at parties or i don't need to see brad pitt go like he's the washed up celebrity who's just trying to hold on to his star and i'm like these are all like the most generic like you know, you could, you could like get the character description. And go like, okay, so you're looking for Margot Robbie type. You're not looking for Margot Robbie, but like, and originally Emma Stone was cast, and I'm like, ooh, that would have been so much better because this that would have at least been like high energy stuff we don't usually see from her. It would have been very different from her role in La La Land too. Um, my personal fan cast I came up with is Anya Taylor Joy and um, uh, Jim Carrey in Brad Pitt's role. Because I actually think Jim Carrey playing a silent film star would be really cool. Uh, although you need to rewrite it a little bit so he's more of a comedy star rather than a, you know. Jim uh, Carrey could play Lon Chaney in the Tim Burton silent film tale yet to be told. I mean, I would hope That'd Tim be really Burton interesting. doesn't direct it. I, I would be anti-Tim Burton. Maybe Guillermo del Toro can direct it. Mm. Well, that's whatever. I was... I was no, no, I got what you're saying. I got what you're saying. You I know. said that, and I was like, oh, he did Ed Wood, which is why I'm making that connection, but it's, like, silly to make that connection now. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. I forgive you for taking a drink. It was bad. It was, a. Uh, am drinking Starbucks right now, and it's, um, got cold, so I'm like, Ugh. Bruh, it Gross. is the evening. So? Um, <laughs> I have to be awake for this. Uh... <laughs> uh. 
So, before I, I discuss anything else about the movie, let me explain the hot wife thing. Because... Her name is off, Olivia Hamilton. And she's the in way. the movie. That's yes. how I can say she's she's attractive. But I also think she's good in the movie. That's the thing to me. To me, the best thing about Babylon is, and you can quote me on this, anyone who goes to see it, there is a sequence in the middle of the movie, which I won't say what happens in it because... I think everyone's going to know the se- sequence happens when it happens, but I don't want to give too much about way about it. But it's PJ Byron, who's also in Wolf of Wall Street, and Olivia Hamilton, and Margot Robbie. And it is the funniest scene I've seen in movies this year. I was laughing so hard. This is the best scene of the movie. Uh, it's just hysterical. And the thing that's funny to me about me, I love you. Let me explain everything about the Olivia Hamilton. So there's a running joke in a group chat I'm in where we talk about, you know, if you ever see the meme of like the dog who bonks someone and goes, go to horny jail. Yes. So we have, we have a joke about that where whenever we see someone who's like new in a movie, who's kind of attractive, we're like, oh, dang, she bad. And you know what? I can go into the whole story about she bad now if I really want to. Do you want me to? Because I think you know it. Do I know it? This is, I mean... Okay, okay, okay. Okay, so we're doing a let's... One of our friends in our group chat gets the Miles Morales video game, okay? Gets the Um, Miles Morales what? Video game, because there's the Spider-Man game, and then there's the Miles Morales spinoff game. Oh. PS5. Oh, I thought that the... Okay, I thought that the Spider-Man... The new Spider-Man was the Miles Morales game. Never mind. There are two different Spider-Mans. I'm there's up to date now. There's a first Spider-Man game that was on PS4. And then there's Spider-Man colon Miles Morales, which is a spin-off game that came off, came was a PS5 launch title that's also on PS4. Ah, uh, yes. So Miles Morales, he gets it. One of, Someone in our group chat gets it. He, he does, he's on Twitch for the entire time because people like me and a couple other people we really like Miles Morales in um, Spider-Verse, and I kind of want to play that game, but I'm not going to buy a PS4 or PS5 for it. So he's like, yeah, I'll just play, and you can get the story. And I'm like, okay, cool. Like, that sounds fun to me. Like, it's a good way to, for me to spend my afternoons watching you play this game. Sure. Not afternoons, but evenings. And this was, like, during the pandemic, too. So it's like, oh, cool. Yeah, something I can do in the evening. But I think that game came out, maybe I'm wrong, but I thought that game came out in, like, fall 2020. I don't think it was last year. I think it was fall 2020. Maybe I'm wrong. I have to look it up. But I'm not that sounds to. right. I think I feel like these have been out for a while. Yeah. So this last play is going on. And I think it's very important also to note that he has. I can say the guy who's running the last game, Ben. Ben has this person from his co like a coworker, also on the call. She also wants to watch the game. And the reason this is really important is because we're all in the Twitch chat doing our own things, and then this character pops up, who. I to spoil a game that's two years old, she ends up being the bad guy, but none of us knew that at the time, which is why it's really funny when this this other person in our chat, who none of us really like, says, "Oh, she bad," and we're like, "Wait, what? Is that a spoiler?" And he's like, "No, she's hot," and we're like, "What?" <laughs> and they're like, and everyone's like, she, and I'm like, "She's a child. These are all children. What are you doing?" And he goes, "No, she's not. She's 18. I checked the in-game list." <laughs> and the next day at work, this guy's like, my coworker was very concerned about how horny you guys were in the game <laughs> about this 18-year-old girl. And we're like, no, we weren't horny. This one guy was. 
Oh, this is <laughs> okay. <laughs> what a that that story had the cast and runtime of Babylon. I'm sorry, but I have well, it all now. I understand. So, the entire movie, I'm looking at this actress. I'm like, I've never seen this actress before in a movie. I think she's really attractive, and also she's really good in the movie. So I'm like, ooh, I have a new person to stand. I said this in the chat. And I'm like, who is it? It's like, Olivia Hamilton. And I'm like, and I sound she bad, like, you know, like as our in joke. And someone just goes, that's Damon Giselle's wife. And I'm like, well, oh. he's got good taste. <laughs> 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 and honestly, it's really funny that she has the role she does in the movie because she plays a director. So it's like, haha, you cast your wife as a director. That's cool. She's actually really good in the movie, too. So it's not like one of those things is like, oh, my wife, you can have this small little role. No, she's she's good in it. Um, mm-hmm. Do you have any questions about the movie that's not about me? One, no, I mean, I have David a lot of questions about the movie. Attractive. But, I, but I don't, well, that's, that's, that's funny that you now have an arch rival. <laughs> um, is this Jamie <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. I wish Twitter still existed and then you could start beef with him. But. I don't think he was ever on. T- he does not. He seems like a director who's like social. He seems like a Nolan type who's like, oh, I don't, I don't do social media. You know, like, mm-hmm. I don't think he was ever on it. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, I have a lot of questions because I never really knew anything about Babylon, but it's nice to know that you approve of it. That's something. Yeah. And I didn't really like First Man that much. So I also I walked out of First Man. Well, I think if you walk out of um, Babylon, you're going to walk out at least two hours and 15 minutes into it. I'll put it that way. Hmm. That's kind of, that kind of makes sense because I remember watching La La Land and I feel like I went with my mom and when like the fourth act card appears on screen, I don't know if we audibly did it, but there was definitely that feeling of like, uh. Yeah, um. I will say the one thing that's funny with Babylon is also my audience. I think I told you this, but I'll say for listeners, my audience burst out into applause when Tobey Maguire appeared. <laughs> Hell yeah! Is that the same crowd that cheered at Michael Stuhlbarg? Yes. <laughs> 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 well, no, they didn't cheer at Michael Stuhlbarg. They cheered at him getting the whiff credit. It was uh-huh. not the appearance itself. It was the idea that everyone was waiting for to see, like, okay, so who's the whip in and? And everyone was assuming it was going to be, this is for Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, for the listeners. Everyone assumed it'd be, like, the John Krasinski cameo or the Patrick Stewart cameo. But then it's with Michael Stuhlberg. <laughs> and so everyone's like, yeah, good for him getting the credit. Uh, mm-hmm. Good for him for getting that credit, honestly. Yeah. He didn't even get it on, um, he didn't get it on Bones and All, which is kind of sad. Do they flip an elephant like they flip the truck in the Dark Knight? I feel like no. that's the kind of thing that I mean, should happen in that I, movie. Do you know what happens in Babylon? Like, I think everyone's been talking about like what happens in the first 90 seconds of Babylon, right? No, I have no idea. Should, should I spoil it for the listeners, the first 90 seconds of Babylon? Yeah. So I, an I'd elephant, spoil it for me, too. So the elephant, the movie opens with our main character trying to get an elephant to a party. Oh my gosh, and, for real? Yes. Whoa! And the elephant okay. gets put on a truck that says he's the truck's like I, I'm only good for horses. I don't know if I can carry this thing. And then of course when they're going up the hill, the elephant gets loose a little bit. So they try to push it back on, and the elephant just shits all over them and on the camera. And that's how the movie opens: is an elephant shits on the camera. Wow! 
I cannot I cannot believe that by vibes alone that movie communicated to me that there was an elephant in it. I know nothing about this film except I assumed you did because there's an there elephant in the trailer. There's an elephant in the trailer. <laughs> oh, maybe that was it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well. It's um it's a fun time. Bit long. Um a little bit up its butt about other things. I do love the ending. You might find the ending you might be like the ending sucks. But I thought it was nice. Mm-hmm. It's a good movie. I recommend. I have to make it to the ending. But what I will say about it also, this is this is the last thing I'll say about it, is I'll tell a story. Okay? It's a story about my parents. It's a story about how one day I was at school, this is back in college, and I get an angry call from my mom. I'm like, Mom, why are you so mad? And she goes, me and your brother John, he's home for his spring break, and we watched that movie you recommended, and it was terrible! And I'm like, what are you talking about? You haven't asked me for any of your recommendations recently. She's like, yeah, I know, but I follow you on Facebook. And I saw on Letterboxd you gave John Wick four stars. I'm like, mom, just because John Wick is a four star movie does not mean I'd say, oh, my mom should go watch John Wick. Uh, <laughs> Why doesn't your mom like John Wick? Because the dog dies. I would never recommend a movie where the dog gets killed on screen to my parents. <laughs> Also, my brother doesn't. My brother doesn't. My brother doesn't like. And I'm gonna say a movie you don't like, but I think his reason for disliking it is dumb. And I think you might agree. He dislikes Guardians of the Galaxy two just because. And I quote: "All these characters are actually villains." And I'm like, "That's dumb." (laughs) I'm I'm willing to I'm willing to accept villains because I I think I might actually enjoy Suicide Squad. I just don't. Yeah, I I mean I don't want to go on and on about my feelings about guardians of the galaxy it's a it's a lot about the presentation of them to me and then especially in guardians 2 when it's chris pratt and um kurt russell kurt russell and it's like chris pratt in a scene with kurt russell you're kind of like oh man have i really been chilling with chris pratt for all this time and i i just kind of accepting that when people like kurt russell exist in the world that's actually that's a funny take. Um, I can't I can't be like yeah sure that that makes sense. Um, I mean, do you think it makes sense or you're like no, it does it does make sense. Yeah. I'm like, okay, yeah, sure that, that that's valid. Um, but all this to say is that I was at work talking to someone about how I went to the event screening in Babylon. They're like, oh, how was it? Should I see it? I was like, I was like, you know, I thought it was really great. It's in my top ten of the year currently. That said, I do not recommend it. Please do not go see it and say I told you to go see it. <laughs> like. <laughs> I'm like, I, I'm not recommending this movie to anyone unless I know them personally. I'll be like, yeah, you'll like it. But this is not a blanket recommendation to everyone. This three hour long movie that opens with an elephant shit against someone. <laughs> mm. So. Yeah, maybe. My movie money. I think I know where it's going, but we'll have to see. Yeah, it's going on David Lynch. Doing Danny's doing his David Lynch impression on Mike. It's yeah. Friday, now, now it seems December twenty third. Talk about the other. What it's we're... Friday, December twenty third. Mark, what is your weather report looking like? Ah, uh, well, <laughs> now that I'm doing a David Lynch impression, um, it's uh, almost Christmas. Merry Lynchmas. <laughs> <laughs> well, that can't be the title, but I wish it could. <laughs> um, yeah. Do you have any other things to say about your life? Uh, nothing about. Nah, no, nah, no, nah, nothing. 
Mm-hmm. But you, don't we have a topic we want to talk about? Oh, yeah. I just wanted to talk more about the sight and sound poll. I guess the all ears. Yeah. Well, I'm kind well, of I like, it's, I, I, I'm t- I was telling you before we got on, I have not gotten around to like start editing the Tyler episode. So I forget what I have and have not talked about just because I've been traveling a lot. It has been a bountiful Christmas of doing shows and things. Um, but I, I feel like I didn't talk about in the top 10 films. I had seen every one that came out except for Beau Travai which shot up from 73rd to be, like, number six now. Oh! Um, I didn't know that's how you pronounce it. I always go bow travel. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Claire Denis movie, though. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Which is something that I had never really gotten around to, because I think, don't you and Julius both like Claire Denis? I am indifferent Julius. to Claire Denis. Yeah, okay. I don't really... I've only seen, I think, High Life. And um, I like 55 Shots of Rob, but those are the only two I've seen. I didn't like Highlight, yeah. though. Yeah, I've never really found a way in with her. I think this is the film that I, of hers that I will like the most, unless I really do some deep diving. Um, just super interesting that this is a film that shot up on the list, because people have talked about it. It's uh, If anyone doesn't know, it's a film about a bunch of uh, French soldiers who are stationed in uh, Djibouti, and it's about their basically their their lives day to day as they do a lot of training, and it is partly based off Billy Bud, so you can just fill in there. It's about this. Um, I've had the opportunity to see it so many times, and I always miss it, and I feel bad that I miss it. I should see when it's screening here, though. Um, it's gonna screen here over the holidays. Keep talking. I'm sorry, I shouldn't cut you off. No, I mean you've. You're fine. It's it's it has for me too. It's a film that I've heard a lot about and just never really gotten around to because I'm just never been really grabbed by her movies. But I really enjoyed it, and I think I watched it in like three sittings, which is whatever. It's how I watch things sometimes, just because life is the way it is. As long but as you watch them in like consecutive um, sittings and not like, oh, I'm going to uh, take watch another movie in the middle. You know? Oh yeah, I was I was grabbed by it, but I just had other things going on, um, and I really enjoyed it. It's very, it's, I don't know. It, some people have said that they can see how this film was so highly regarded because it's shot like photography, and a lot of contemporary art house films, which are well regarded, kind of have that photographic style. With like a lot of static shots and strong horizontal lines, I guess. I it's not something that I have really thought much about because I actually don't I'm I'm usually not drawn to those kinds of films, which I think is partly why I was not initially drawn to this movie. But I really enjoyed it, and I think watching it and putting in the time has really been good for my life, actually. It's funny because before I watched it, I was kind of like I don't know, just just feeling weird about things. The whole the whole sight and sound list coming out got me really excited and put me in a really great mood. Like I was in some kind of funk that the sight and sound list pulled me out of and then putting in the time to watch this kind of difficult film. I don't know, I don't want to call it difficult, but eh, it is what it is. It I've only it, seen it was just really good. On sight and sound. What? I've only seen 28 of these. You can sound. 
You can tell that immediately? Oh, because I have a letterbox, so I can just go to the letterbox to see what which ones I've marked as watched, you know? Oh, that's right. So, yeah. Um, I haven't yeah. seen... Uh, and of the top ten, I've seen two... I've seen six, now that Mulholland Drive is there. I didn't realize... I forgot Mulholland Drive is so high now, which is kind of cool. Which ones have you not seen? And the top ten? Yeah. The one you just said that I keep, would mispronounce the title of, Beautreval. Um, Gene Dealman, Vertigo... Tokyo story. You know my story about Vertigo, right? I've walked out. I walked out of it. No, I don't <laughs> think so. Well, it, it's I, it's fun to say I've walked out of it because I always say the movies I've walked out of, I always have a really good reason to. Because you know my most recent one was Wakanda Forever. It's because the projector was out of focus and bad, and also I wasn't in the mood for it. Um, I'll explain the other ones very quickly. Cause now that I've brought it up, I feel like I have to say all of them. West Side Story, the remake, I walked out of because I had a migraine. And I didn't feel like I was giving a movie a shot by the time, like, the third song hit. I just had such a big headache, so I just walked out because I had A-list. And the only reason I was rushing to see it was because I wanted to see it in Dolby, and Spider-Man was going to take the Dolby. But I was like, I can see this in standard. You know, like, I don't I don't need to rush this and, like, not like this movie because I just got a headache during it. Um, then I tried to watch the Judy Garland. Have you heard of the Judy Garland movie, The Clock? Which isn't a musical. No. It's like It's like... The plot is very before sunset, before, like, it's just like they meet on a train and they hang out for a bit and then they separate type of thing. And it's Judy Garland and someone else. I think it's Minnelli directed it and it's like his one that isn't a musical. I'm not sure though. Um, Anyway, they were doing a Judy Garland series at the Siskel Center and I went to go see it. I was really mad because I went to go see it because they had a 30, they they promised a 35 millimeter print. Okay. And they didn't have it. And the reason it got me mad is because I chose this over a free screening of an old Buster Keaton movie that had a 4K restoration at the music box with a live organ. And I was like, oh, well, man. the clock on 35 is probably rarer because it's not really streamed. This is, I think it's on Criterion Channel now, but at the time it wasn't st- streaming anywhere. And so they're like, sorry, we don't have the 35 millimeter print, so we're going to show it to you anyway. I'm like, okay, fine, sure. I'm here. I'll watch it. You know what they have? They have a DVD. Uh. <laughs> and first they showed the DVD in the wrong aspect ratio. They're like, don't worry, we're going to fix it. They fix it. And then the movie is in the correct aspect ratio, but it has a clear lag to it. And I'm just like, no, I refuse. Mm-hmm. And that's the only one of these movies. Well, I haven't seen Vertigo either, but that's one of the only ones I've seen. I, I didn't see it. I never, I haven't still haven't watched it. I want to watch it, but I was really just mad about the whole experience. They gave me a free pass and I ended up using the free pass and seeing The Matrix in 35 the next week. Um, Wait, so why'd you why'd you walk out of Vertigo? So Vertigo was my first movie back in the pandemic. I had not yet learned how to wear my mask and put glasses on. Nor did I learn oh, the defog yeah. solution of putting shaving cream on your glasses so it doesn't fog it up. So I gave it about 20 minutes of trying to watch the movie. And then eventually I was like, no, this is stupid. Like, I'm more distracted by my glasses and trying to figure out how to neg- negotiate this than watching the movie. So then I walked out. But I didn't ask for a refund because in that case it was like, well, the music box just reopened. I'm not going to ask for my money back. You know? Oh, and then I, I figured you. out for the next week and I saw Interstellar in 70 instead. Which mm-hmm. I wish I'd seen Vertigo, but can you do, you know? I'm sure we'll be yeah. back someday, hopefully. It's Vertigo. Yeah. Have but you found we'll... any interesting new watches from the sight and sound? Not yet. Right now I'm in the middle of, you know, it's end of year catch up. 
for me. Actually, we're not quite there yet. We're do I'm doing, I still haven't started it actually, but I wanted to watch, I have a couple of things I wanted to watch so I could watch some Christmas things related to them. Um, and then I'm watching a lot for both this podcast and Snub Club because all that stuff is front loaded in December. And my next thing I'm going to try to do is watch the Ben and, the Brendan Fraser movie marathon that I promised to not get started yet. That I will give up on as soon as the Oscar doms are out. But that's like a month away. So I'd still like to try to get through as many of those as I can. So no, I have not yet watched anything from the Sight and Sound list. Uh, well, um, no, I mean, it makes sense. I think the only... Did I watch any recent um, old movie since we last recorded? No, because I just went to the Babylon screen and it took so much time. I did see EO, though. That was pretty good. That's playing near me, but I probably won't get out to it. Yeah, I don't... I mean, I think it's really good, but it's... I hate to be like this guy who sounds like... This is like the worst type of person to me. The person who's like, nah, man, you should wait to see Gravity at Home because it's only 90 minutes. Because, yeah... Get more bang for your buck, as if runtime is equivalent to like what a movie is. But that said, EO is like eighty-seven minutes, and to me, I'm like, well, I know you you like long movies, so don't bother with it in theaters. <laughs> well, I just I don't know. I don't know anything about it. It's about Again. A, it's it's a remake of a movie I believe that's on the science list that I haven't seen called Al Hazard Balthazar. Oh well, that's a great movie. Yeah, but imagine if the lead was a donkey instead. The lead is a donkey. And Al Hazard. But you mean it's like a talking donkey? No. What? Is the lead of Al Hazard. Now I gotta look about Hazard Balthazar. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's about it's about a donkey. I don't know what role the donkey. Well, I, I forget if. I forget if the donkey really is like. Like we see it through the donkey's eyes or well, something like that. Now I have like to that, see Al or... I had no idea this was actually. I I kept hearing that EO was a remake of this Brasson movie, where in the Brasson movie it's a human that does this, but I guess EO is just a remake. <laughs> now I'm like, I gotta go see this movie. <laughs> I now I need to know what the difference between EO and Alhazar Balthazar is. Whoa, but. Eo's about a donkey. Inspired by the whatever, the film follows a donkey as he's given to various owners, most of whom treat him callously. So, was well, Eo like feel, that? Now I feel obligated to see this movie, because now I'm like, oh, because I, I gave Eo a 9 out of 10, and now it's like, oh, well, there's there's an original that's probably better that I didn't see. Wow. I can't, I can't believe you saw this film because it was, because they remade a French film. No, I saw this movie because it was my movie go movie of the week. <laughs> but now that I know that it's a remake of Ahazav Alphazar and Ahazav Alphazar is about a donkey, I'm really mad. <laughs> oh, uh, well. oh well. EO is pretty good though. It's still still pretty good. My my. Fine... How does Ahazav? Wait, wait, wait. Hmm? If if you may, spoil this Brasson movie to me. I'm not gonna spoil the end of EO, but spoil this uh, this Brasson movie to me. How does it end? My God, I watched it so long ago, and it was one of those movies that I just like put on to have it happen i mean I'm, I'm on wikipedia here everybody when gerard um let me see is gerard the donkey no because it says when gerard and his accomplice so i'm just using context clues <laughs> the um, the i think guy. i think balthazar is the donkey okay um it seems like balthazar gets abducted by this guy gerard and he's some kind of criminal i don't know they're smuggling contraband 
and they're they're apprehended and they flee in the morning we see balthazar has a gunshot wound a shepherd and his flock come the sheep gather around balthazar their bells jangling he lies down and dies Aw, that's unfortunate i feel like i've had it respoiled for me and it was sad yes i should watch Azar balthazar does that, is that what I'm... happens in EO? <laughs> I'm not going to say what happens in EO. I can't spoil a movie that's not even playing anywhere. I just got to watch it. Because now I feel now I feel really dumb. You know? Like, the next <laughs> I was like, this movie was so good. Oh, my God. And it's a remake of this French film about this wandering man. But in this one, it's a donkey. And now it's like, no, the French film was about a donkey. I'm like, well, then, what, the, what, the, what was this then? <laughs> like, what was, like, now I'm really upset. <laughs> I look like an idiot. <laughs> So I'm like, ah, oh, so revolutionary to put this in the eyes of a donkey. <laughs> that sounds like, what is that? It's either a piece of fiction or it's like real where someone, it's like a woman talking about the difficulty of making films and she provides some fictional example where the winning film is this. Oh, this is a joke on Twitter. Never mind. Oh, I've always been from Watermelon Woman. That was going to be my guess. No, no, no! But the joke on Twitter—it maybe it's. I guess it's kind of a funny joke. Um, someone's complaining about how it's hard to make films, and it is. They give the counter example, like, "Oh, I, I wanted this film to win, and the film that won is actually this story about a rat that like grows up in the streets of Germany." during World War II, and you see the 20th century through the rat's eyes, <laughs> and then it's subtweeted, or quote-tweeted, is like, this person accidentally described the hardest film ever made. <laughs> uh, but I feel like there's another example, too, about, like, rabbits living in, un like, a wall. It's like the Berlin Wall or something. I don't know see, where I read this. Thing. My takeaway on EO was... It's that it weirdly to me felt like the plot of like one of those Disney 90 movies, but like art house and very like cool cinematography where it's like, let's, let's go, let's see what a donkey dreams of and let's put that to screen. So, mm -hmm. oh, and I realized I had something else to talk about, but you know what? I'll just save it for later. You can <laughs> talk about matter. it if the spirit seizes you. Well, it was just something at the Cisco Center that I felt like would be your thing. They're doing a, a movie, a film series of... Well, I'll put it this way. The shortest film in the series is um, Satan Tango, or however you pronounce it. Whoa. That's the shortest film. I am with it. <laughs> Do you want to know what the other ones are? Yeah. For Ouch anyone who one. doesn't know, uh, Satan Tango, which I've never known how to pronounce, is like nine hours long. It's 439 minutes, and it's the shortest film in the series, yes. The other what films are, the other are ones? Out One by Jacques uh, Rivet. That's 776 minutes. La Flor by Mariana Mariana Lilanis. It's eight hundred and eight minutes. Uh, Decalogue, the entire series. So, oh, that's five hundred seventy-two. So maybe that's kind of that, cheating. It's just a movie. Still, it's still longer than Satango. And the last one is, of course, um, four hundred fifty-three minutes long. But it's probably the one I'd prioritize the most is War and Peace. So really. They don't have, like, the full Fanny and Alexander? No. Sorry. Mm. Yeah, no joke. Out One is a movie that I always think of every few weeks, and I try to find a way to watch it, and then it's well, like... Well, fly out here for January 7th. 
screens at 10 a.m. And you'll be out. Uh, how long is that? 776 minutes? How long is that? Is that nine hours? That's about nine hours, right? Yeah, I don't remember. It's it's a film that's oh, like wait, a bunch but of no, duh, It's way longer than nine hours. It's, mm-hmm. that's, well, but tw- it's, it's, that's about 13 hours. It's close to 13 hours. But it's very cool because it's, it's sort of like a series, I guess. But it's about two acting troops putting on different productions and it's French and Jean-Pierre Liot is in it and a lot of it is like improvised and there are all these moments where you can like see camera equipment which is something I really like um yeah I would make a point but unfortunately it's over there rip anyway game time yeah so it's the letterbox game that's right. It's Christmas, so you're just getting a letterbox game. <laughs> the letterbox game. It's We're a so game poor on Christmas, we talk children. about Eat a, your letterbox no. game. <laughs> it's a game where letterbox has a feature where it tells you the film that's most algorithmically related to the film you just saw. Letterbox game is I'll give Mark five movies. He has to guess what movie the films are describing. If he gets two answers wrong, he gets the year the movie came out. Then he gets two additional guesses with two more additional movies for a total of five guesses. So, Mark, I know I said it's Christmas. You get the letterbox game. So what I did was, instead of asking for numbers from you, random numbers, is I went to my letterbox list, um, which is feature films I saw for the first time in 2022. And this is being recorded on December 12th. So for any listeners who follow my letterbox, might be like, well, you forgot this movie. Um, that's when the cutoff is, December 12th. Um, I cloned the list. And then cross-checked it with the letterbox list titled Neverending Christmas List, which is a list that includes any film that features a scene at Christmas. So, these are the top three, because I'm just giving you the most popular ones, because I'm being nice to you on, on Christmas. Oh, thank you. These are you. the most popular films on Letterbox that I saw for the first time in 2022 that feature a film, at, uh, a scene at Christmas. Okay. These are okay. not necessarily Christmas movies, but they have a scene that takes place at Christmas. And you say they're the first you've they're seen. They're films I saw for the time. first time this year. Okay. I'll tell you right now, uh, I believe none of them I saw in the theater. So or if I saw okay. it in the theater, it was a repertory screening. Okay? So don't don't be stuck on new movies. Alright? No, yeah, yeah. You ready for this? I would not These be able most, to be stuck. Top on three new most movies. popular. Okay. So your top Five movies are your first five movies are Goodfellas, The Irishman, Road to Perdition, The Many Saints of Newark, and Gotti. <laughs> I don't even is I got I, I'm I'm a little stumped for mob Christmas movies. Uh, bad. I'm just gonna name stuff. Bad Santa. It is not Bad Santa. Bad Santa's not the top twenty five. Again, I don't think I'll I'll say right now I don't think any of these three movies are stuff that you would call Christmas movies. They just have scenes set at Christmas. Okay, but that still counts as a guess. Okay, The Godfather Part Three. It is not The Godfather Part Three. The Godfather Part Three is in the top twenty-five. The year the film came out is nineteen seventy-two. Mikey and Nikki. It is not Mikey and Nikki. It is Mikey and Nikki in the top 25? Let me do a quick check because I know that one has a weird letterbox thing. No, Mikey and Nikki is not in the top 25. 
The next movie you get is A History of Violence. Uh, Die Hard? It's not Die Hard. Die Hard is not a top 25. So I'll say the final film, and then I'll do the recap. The final film is American Gangster. So this is a film from 1972 that has... The seven films are Goodfellas, The Irishman, Road to Perdition, The Many Saints of Newark, Gotti, A History of Violence, and American Gangster. The only thing in the top 25 you hit was The Godfather Part 3. I'm just going to... The Great Train Robbery, directed by Michael Crichton. It is not The Great Train Robbery. Great Train Robbery is not a top 25. You get a bonus guess, because there are two films I had to remove from this list of seven. I don't know. That's a bad guess, but I got a... Donnie Brasco, which had no sequels. I'm just... Donnie Brasco is not on top 25. And now this is the part where Mark's going to feel incredibly stupid. Okay. Because... I have not seen The Godfather Part 3. I have not seen The Godfather Part 2, but this is the year I finally watched the first Godfather movie. Lamau. <laughs> Lamau. I always forget that you tell me if it's in the top 25, even if you would normally remove it. Yes, because... Yeah. This, well, because I can't say it's not in the top 25, because it is, you know? Yeah. Yeah, Godfather Part 3 is the second one after, of course, Godfather 2. Mm-hmm. Yes, Have you, did you ever the, watch The Godfather Part 3? I feel like we talked about this. Um, hopefully someone isn't listening to this podcast, or you can cut out this bit, but I don't care if you keep it in or not, you can be spoiled on this. The Godfather Part 3 is a snub club movie, so I will eventually watch it for another podcast. So, Oh, uh, yeah. So I need to watch Godfather Part 2 till whenever, before we ever get to there, but I've got a while still. That's still pretty far off. Excellent. So hit Godfather 3. So... Um, you ready for round two? Yep. This one's a little eclectic. Your five films are Pulp Fiction, Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels, Cold Pursuit, which is a 2019 movie um, starring Liam Neeson that he famously got canceled for because on the press tour, he decided to tell everyone a, a very creepy uh, story about him. this is that movie. Yeah, this is that movie. Um, the Gentleman which is a Guy Ritchie movie from 2019. And then the Grand Budapest Hotel. <laughs> kind of like, I don't know why that's there, but it is. All right. Is this Die Hard? No. Die Hard is not in the top 25. The Wolf of Wall Street. It's not The Wolf of Wall Street. The Wolf of Wall Street is not in the top 25. This film came out in 2008. Ooh. I know from a past episode that it was neither No Country for Old Men nor There Will Be Blood because we put them in 2007. The, yes. Iron Man. Seven movies. You think Iron Man? You think I never saw Iron Man before this year? You really want to guess that? No, it's my. That's the movie I think of when I think of 2008. Um, but you know, it's a movie I didn't see until this year. Yeah. So I'm tr- you really I'm want to tr- throw away a guess at Iron Man? Uh, yeah, I want to throw away a guess. This game is about throwing away guesses. All right, Iron Man is not the top 25. And I've seen Iron Man before 2022. <laughs> the next one you get is Bullet Train. Do you want hmm. a little bit of a hint that I'll say? Well, I'm just trying. Well, to... it's kind of a retraction. Was it, is it the town? It is not the town. The town is not in the top 25. Okay. Um, before I... I'm going to give you this hint now. Because it, it's, kind of, it's not even a hint. It's a retraction. Is that... I said that these films are not really considered Christmas movies, but I will say that 
unlike the other two on here, where like The Godfather, I think, has a scene set at Christmas, this movie, I believe, is entirely set like during the Christmas season. It's like one of those types of movies. Um, mm-hmm. So I'll give you the final film, and then I'll give you your top seven again. Final film is True Romance. So this is a film from 2008. The films related to it are Pulp Fiction, Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels, Cold Pursuit, The Gentleman, The Grand Budapest Hotel, Bullet Train, and True Romance. Krampus. It's not Krampus, and Krampus is not top 25. All right, your final extra hint is, because you get the bonus guess, is that I had to remove a film. And you haven't hit Enchanted? It is not Enchanted. Enchanted is not in the top 25. So this is a film that I did to prep for a new release, because I'd never seen this film. Um, the <laughs> film I Obviously. Hold, no, I've seen Avatar. The <laughs> film I removed from the top seven is from the same director, and it's the other film from this director I didn't see, because the only other film I saw this director before I saw this new movie was Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri, which I hated and is not Irish. So I saw In Bruges. This is In Bruges. Oh, I've never seen that movie. Oh, well, it's entirely set there in Christmas, so now you know. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not a big Martin McDonough fan. Uh, yeah, I would say this is the best of the three I've seen. And yeah. I haven't really read his plays, though. All right, well, I'm actually, a, I'm a fan of his writing and his plays. I just haven't, I've put on a few of his movies and just haven't been into it. You ready for the final one? Yes. Oh, and the one I removed was Seven Psychopaths, in case that wasn't clear. Yes. Um, your five films are Immortal Beloved, Copying Beethoven, The Favorite, Citizen Kane, Bohemian Rhapsody. Amadeus. Yeah! yeah! He's Amadeus! Yeah! Oh, man. Good job. Amadeus is awesome. It was really good. I saw it in concert, too. It was kind of neat. So that was the first time you'd seen Amadeus, was seeing it in concert? Yeah. That's amazing. You're curious, the other two films related to it are Mary Antoinette and The Libertine. Mm-hmm. So. I remember, I remember you watching that. I got very excited. Yes. So, yeah. I saw Amadeus. So those are the three... The Godfather in Bruges and Amadeus. What a Christmas. What a Christmas feast. Mm-hmm. Do you want to know what other, just quickly, what other Christmas movies I saw this year that aren't Christmas movies? Just so I can list yeah. them off quick. All right. So the two we've already played for this game are Elvis and Signs. Because those both have scenes at Christmas. Two films that are not eligible because they don't have enough views on Letterboxd to get um, this game set up are Come to the Stable, which is a film I covered for the Snub Club. And a journal for Jordan. Then the other ones are alphabetically, because um, alphabetical is the way to do it. Uh, they are Anti Mame, which is another Stump Club movie, um, Benediction, Bros, The Conversation, The Kingsman, The Last Temptation of Christ, which I feel like is here on technicality, um, <laughs> The Outfit, Passing, Paid in Place. The Phantom Carriage, Scrooge, and We Are All Going to the World's Fair. Those are all the Christmas movies I saw this year. Okay, did you have Christmas trivia for me or no? I do, actually. Nice. Um, yeah, well, I wanted to put the Christ back in Christmas. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, <laughs> I don't know. I, I went a few different ways with this. I decided, you know, we talked a while back about what movies we think Pope Francis should watch. 
I'm going to talk about a film that he's actually seen. Okay. And I'm going to, I'm going to ask you questions about Babette's Feast. You're, okay. <laughs> I don't know what this movie is, but okay. Yeah, I know. This was very difficult. I couldn't... I'm... I don't... Well... You asked me about Freebirds, which is a movie we apparently watched together that I have no memory of seeing. So okay, so that's yeah, that's fair. This is a good company. This is a good payback. Yeah, <laughs> well, and also also because I'm going to ask you similar questions. So okay. <laughs> first question: When do you know what Babette's Feast is about? First of all, question number one. <laughs> um, I'm gonna assume it's about like a maid named Babette who has to throw a meal together for the people who she works for. But unfortunately, everything goes wrong. But in the end, she becomes a prostitute? Question mark? No. Um, <laughs> you actually had a really strong start there. And then you kind of went off the rails. No, it's about a woman who is a maid... She's a she's a maid and she's working for these two sisters and at some point um she wins the maid wins a French lottery even though the movie's not set in France she wins a French lottery and she decides that she's going to use it to prepare a dinner and in all the townspeople come over and they're nervous about it because they're worried that the sensual food will corrupt them with its sin but they all enjoy the meal and they get along together, and that's that's the movie. It has a happy ending. I don't know. It actually that's doesn't nice. have that happy ending. Yeah, it's a really good time. I don't. I only saw it once, and I never really rewatched it. But I, I don't know. So it's like Free Birds. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's uh, it's very similar to that. Um, that's a, that's what I should have led with. Well, anyway, so first question: When did I? Where did I watch this movie? You get three choices. Okay. One, You're a nice basement. <laughs> Two, a dressing room. Or three, a bus. I'm going to go with bus. Wrong. But a good, a good guess, because I watched a lot of Christian films on buses. I actually watched this in a basement because... Oh, that was the one I wasn't going to guess at all, so... Yeah. Nice. Go on, yeah. I was proud with my misdirections. I the, I watched it in a basement because my my mom works for a church, and they around, I guess around the time that Pope Francis did that thing where he came around and was like, these are my favorite movies, and he went to the Pennsylvania where they did the showing of movies. But the church also did a showing of movies, and one of them was Babette's Feast. And because it's part of the Criterion Collection, I watched it there in a church basement the first time. And a dressing room is actually where I watched all of the John Hughes movies. Because in freshman year of college, I was in that show that had the like three and a half hour runtime, but I was a supporting character. So I had enough time backstage to watch entire John Hughes movies. It's oh like, yeah, the show the show I tried out for and I didn't get it. I was very sad. I don't know, that's man. How, that's, that's how it goes. <laughs> that's well, how the... Peter goes. That's how it goes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is what the yeah. definition of acting is. Like, yeah, yeah, you're right. Well that was that was beyond the horizon. Um and there are Oh, I wasn't thinking of that show. I thought you were in Tartuffe. Oh no, I was not in Tartuffe. Oh. Well, no, there I was go. Captain Dick and Beyond the Horizon. 
Yeah. We tried to forget I, that show. Oh, Not I'm because sorry. of you. You were good in it. No, you were good in it. Thank you. I remember just really loving that book read, not the play reading, and then singing. I was like, Ugh, not a fan of this one. How this guy did it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Were you ever a like, big Eugene O'Neill fan? Not really. I remember someone gave me um, Long Day's Journey into Night to do in an acting scene. I was really annoyed I got cast in it. Granted, part of that was also me being annoyed that I was in the certain director's scene. I was like, this guy's an idiot. Like, he doesn't know what he's directing me to do. <laughs> Good take. But I don't remember yeah. that. But I just I believe you. All right. So I like uh, I like Iceman Cometh. That's a good one. Sorry. Go on. Yeah. Yeah. That you saw with Denzel. Yeah. Humble brag. That's me. <laughs> I saw All Denzel. Right. He looked right at me because I'm I was in the sightline of where he was supposed to stare at the audience. <laughs> so, in Babette's feast, she makes a meal that has seven courses. She has two meat courses. Can you name the two kinds of meat? They're both weird. Like, weird, weird? Like, weird, like, I wouldn't eat it, or weird, like, no one eats it anymore? Um, good question. I think it's more, they're very expensive, and kind of, like, hard to find. Venison? Mm-hmm. Wow, I'm right? Venison's one of them? No, 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 you're not right. Oh, okay, well, I'll, I'll get to your one. Uh, let's go with, um... Jaguar. <laughs> Good guess. No, they're uh, they're uh, quail and turtle. Oh, I should have guessed quail. I wouldn't yeah. have guessed. Turtle, I mean, but, they're, but I they're honestly quail. they're not that far out there, but it's a it's like I, I wouldn't have guessed turtle in a million years, but I should have guessed thought of quail. Yeah. So, uh, last question about Babette's feast movie which i know you know a lot about so you appreciate like being reminded of the small details about the film yeah um, definitely. it's great yeah. It's, yeah uh real quick she wins a lottery bobette before she makes the feast how much money was the lottery for what country does this movie take place in denmark but they use francs i'll give you that it's in francs how, how much is a franc worth it's roughly like a, it's it's actually roughly similar to a dollar. Four thousand francs. Good guess. It's ten thousand francs. Nice. Yeah. That is a very expensive meal. Yeah. I, of course, if you've seen the film and you're like, man, I wonder how expensive that meal is. It's that expensive. So Wahoo, you I should have you, gone higher, because you said it was for the whole town, right? Yeah, I should have gone higher. For like 000. a small town. Yeah. But I anyway. I should have gone higher for a small town. Good good you win. Now I want to blink this my next blind buy on Criterion. It sounds like a movie I'd like. Yeah, I totally recommend it. I'm glad something came of this game. Next time there's a Criterion, so just remind me to get Babette's Feast, and I will. Yeah. And it will sit next to all my other blind buys that I've never watched. I have so many blind buys on Criterion that I've never watched. Hmm? I haven't seen 16 of my blind buys on Criterion. That's why they're blind. No, I mean, I still haven't watched them since I bought them. Oh, gotcha. All right. Can you believe it? Uh... Because I can't believe it's Christmas. I can't believe it's finally coming. I can't believe it's Christmas. My favorite time of year. An absolute banger. Yeah, it is. I mean, this special has a lot of bangers. I cannot believe how much I liked this special. 
<laughs> I, 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 I have other thoughts on it, but I didn't hate it. I, I'll, I'll put it that way. I didn't hate it. No, um, man. This is, this is like top five things we've watched for me. All right. Probably five. This is number five, probably, if I had to figure it out right now. But, like... Okay, so just so the listeners are aware, this is our Christmas festival, which means we are going... Oh, this is even a detour. This is a special episode because <laughs> we are off a cliff. Because we figured that you know a lot of people probably won't even listen to this because they're following. They're they're like you know they're they're traveling for Christmas. They might not be listening to us. So we should just do something that is tangentially related to our podcast and also Christmassy. And we figured that you know we're in the beginning days of CGI still, and we've talked about VeggieTales before. How VeggieTales really is like at the forefront of what CGI is. So we watched the first ever Veggie, from what I'm aware, the only VeggieTales Christmas special to air on television, um, the Toy That Saved Christmas, or also known as the VeggieTales Christmas Spectacular. I also think it's very relevant to us because the font they use for toy is incredibly similar to the Toy Story logo, <laughs> and I do think it's very much playing off of the. The Toy Story, um, you know, tropes in a sense that I don't think it could work if Toy Story did not yet exist. But beyond all that, um, this is the toy that saved Christmas, a VeggieTales Christmas special. I'm curious. I didn't look it up yet. I usually do. But in this case, I was like, I don't need to have that much historic context because it's VeggieTales. But I'm curious, like, how, like, is this like the fifth or sixth VeggieTales episode? I guess I should just open it and look it up. Because I don't think... This came out in 1996. Yeah, so I think VeggieTales started in 93. I don't think they were charting this out. You know, it's VeggieTales. Well, I kind of... You mentioned that, like, they... we. I thought I thought this was relevant to what we were talking about, like, in The Incredibles. But this is actually back with Toy Story. Oh, yeah, yeah. This is way back. Um, yeah, Toy... Oh, this is... Yeah, I was... Damn, I nailed it. It's the sixth episode. Uh, VeggieTales. Man, you should not start something. I can... I I would not be pleased if we started our thing, like, these past few weeks where everything we're doing is like a detour or a holiday special. I don't know. Unwise, I think. I'm confused, but okay. What do you mean? Like I feel, I feel like you need to build up a few episodes before you do a Christmas special. Oh, fair. But what you need to remember is VeggieTales isn't really a TV show. VeggieTales is specials they release on VHS to sell at Christian bookstores. Because mm. um, it's like the first one came out December ninety. Like here's the release schedule, okay, for all six: December nineteen ninety three, August nineteen ninety four for episode two, March nineteen ninety five. November 1995, April 1996, and then this comes out in October 1996, so they can sell it all Christmas. Which, to be honest, now in retrospect, I really do, it really does uh, make sense now that I always wondered as a kid why there were so many VeggieTale, like, compilations of just songs. That now I'm like, oh yeah, because these take forever to make. <laughs> because they don't know, like, CGI is just not being invented. <laughs> so. Wow. But yes, this is uh, the VeggieTales Christmas special. I think the wraparound 
airs in 98, if I remember correct. Because um, I think that's what it said on the thing we looked at. But maybe so I'm just, wrong. Just to clarify for me, you're saying that this is... They had been released on VHS, but this is the f- this is the sixth in a line of TV sh- specials. So no, no. Uh, I will explain to be very clear. This is the sixth VeggieTale thing to be released. Period. Ever. Yes. Oh. Then I believe the wraparound segments aired in '98, which is two years after this. I'm gonna double check that, but I'm really like gut feeling saying this the special. Uh, VeggieTales Spectacular. My gut feeling is this aired on TV in 98. Yes, it aired in 98, 99, 2000. And the reason why I had a gut feeling about this also is because if you notice during the VeggieTales theme song, uh, <laughs> I sound so like bizarre. Like, like, if you look very closely at the theme song. <laughs> um, but during the VeggieTales theme song, you can see um, clips from the Larry Boy at one. Which I don't think... I think, yeah, the Larry Bird one comes out in April 97. Mm. And this came out originally in... Uh, as I said, October 96. Yeah. But yes. But the wraparound segments, which we did also watch, are 98. Which I think is uh, actually interesting now that I know that. Because I do think the wraparound segments look way more polished. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. My my whole thing. I mean, it's only two years, it, but yeah. Yeah. Well, it can be a lot, and it's obviously a lot for Pixar every time a year goes by or something yeah, that's like true. that. Especially now, when we were talking about our old episodes, it was like you're making giant leaps every time there's a new short. Only recently, in all of our episodes, are we now getting to Bounden, and we're kind of like, oh, well, this is nice, but they're not really doing anything. Um, yeah. Th- at that point, it's like we've got to the point where artistic freedom is what we're looking at, not necessarily the leaps in tech but but even then i'm i am blown away by this short film i loved it i think it does so much with so little i think the jokes are humorous um i and i well i don't know it's like it's it's the kind of jokes that i appreciate even if they're not like laugh out loud funny to me I did laugh out like one bit, and it's at the very end where it's like, he was debating on getting his bus off surgically removed. And I was just like, whoa, whoa, whoa what? <laughs> oh, that. Well, there, there is the joke where he's they're in the sled, and he's like, I don't even remember what they're doing. I watched this a few days ago, but he's like, all right, everyone with hands, start tying yes. the knot. That's a great joke. Yeah. I actually, we'll we'll get into that. Um, because I. I I don't want to be like, let's go in order with this, but it also is kind of something where to me, I think it's interesting to talk about. I want to like, I want to talk about the climax of its own thing. We can talk about the climax now if you want, but we can also just talk generally about it first because I haven't given my take on it yet. My my experience of this movie is so garbled because we watched the full movie and then you sent me that, the that video sentence. with only the bumpers. Yeah. So it was. <laughs> I have to like piece together in my mind how it all... Fits oh together. well, I think the, the only difference is is you watch the bumpers, and then you watch the you, it's so these are on YouTube separately. <laughs> the bumpers and then there's the special separately. Um, so the way the bumpers work is basically it's like a 14 minute long thing where it's like, all right, play the movie, and then it pauses and then it's back and it's like, wow, what a great movie. So what you do is you watch the first 14 minutes, you pause that video, you watch the other video, and then you come back to it. 
And when you watch the movie, you have to skip the Hey Santa song because that plays prior in the um, other cut. Great song. Um, yeah, great song. Actually, uh, that song is uh, on my Christmas playlist and it's been on my Christmas playlist for years. I remember like decorating the Christmas tree in high school and like having that song just come up on my Spotify. I'm like, aha, VeggieTales, why not? Um, I kind of wonder if we could ever watch a VeggieTales that I remember watching because I recognized so much of this and yet I have no memory of ever watching it. So I wonder oh, how that osmosis so to me. Well, I think some of it might also be um, kind of hold on, the joke I made about the Larry Boy clip is I distinctly remember the shot of the penguins like all being in a line going down like that like triangle shape. I remember that being like a clip they used in their theme song. Mm-hmm. So it might be that too. Yeah. Um, but I very remember watching this. Not necessarily the wraparounds, because the wraparounds, as I said, was just on TV. Um, but I remember watching this on VHS. And I don't want to be like... You liked it a lot, and I don't want to be like, I hated it, because I didn't hate it. I just Actually, it be, would... be like you hated it, because I got a note from someone saying that we should be more argumentative. Okay, well, I didn't hate it, though. But okay. I did think that it was... R.I.P. Bad episode. <laughs> well, no, no. I, well, I didn't, I didn't like it either. It's very much to me where it's like, all right, these are some guys who are being put in this position to, like, they have to make this Christmas special where it has to be very religious and it has to have a story and let's see what we can do. And I think there's a lot of stuff that works, but there's stuff that's like, all right, all right let, let, let's track the, the storyline of Bus Louis, okay? Let me, let me, let, let's lay out the story for the, the listeners so they don't have to go watch the toy that saved Christmas without the wraparounds. Because I think we can end on the wraparounds because you watch the wraparounds last and they are just wraparounds. So, Toy That Saved Christmas, there's this character named Grandpa George, who's not usually in VeggieTales, who is, like, the mailman in the town. And he's like, I'm going to tell you the story about how this town forgot what Christmas was about. And it's like, okay, Daddy, tell me. Grandpa, tell me. And Grandpa, like, it's like, all these kids sing this song called They Can't Wait Till Christmas. It's their favorite time of year. Uh, while Grandpa is amusingly trying to deliver a package. Which I think is really funny. It's a great it's one of the bit. Parts of this- it's a good bit. It's like I will admit that's a good bit. Um, and then at the end he delivers it, and all the kids are just complaining because they see on TV this commercial for Buzzsaw Louie. And the, the big thing in the commercial is when you press Buzzsaw Louie's nose, he tells you what the true meaning of Christmas, which is buy toys, get more presents. Christmas is about getting presents. And I'll be honest, this is a sidebar that is very relevant to my viewing of the special is that this past no two weekends ago when i was um at the show um maria kent i watched with my friend late at night um rapsy street kids believe in santa which has those messages in it unironically because it is a film made by people that have no idea what the term was cgi and was storytelling where the message of that is like you should buy stuff Mark is looking this up now. I do not recommend the listeners look this up. Rhapsody it is terrifying. Kids. Rhapsody Street Kids Believe in Santa. But it's spelled rap, R-A-P-S-I-T-T-I-E. Rhapsody Street uh, Kids, because they all rap. Man, I can't believe that wasn't our Christmas episode, but... Yeah, I know, but I'm kind of glad we dodged it for now. Maybe in the future, I don't know. <laughs> but for now, we dodged it. 
Um, and I get that this is a children's special where we have to rush through things very quickly, but it's very ham-fisted. It's very over the top and not really in a funny way to me. It's just kind of like, a, all right, I get what you're going, getting at here. Um, and then he's like, Mr. Nezer, who, this is my favorite thing about the special to me as a longtime VeggieTales fan. It reveals this is a canonical sequel to the Rack Shack and Benny episode, which I remember. Do you remember the Rack Shack and Benny episode? I feel like that is the most memorable episode of VeggieTales. That's the no. one where um, Rack Shack and Benny work at a chocolate factory. They work real hard in the chocolate factory. We don't get lunch and we don't get off till three. It's great how the songs are still stuck in my head years later. Um, but it's just, it's, it's the story of, um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, uh, where they work at the chocolate factory and they're like, and Mr. Nezer's like, I'm going to make a giant bunny that everyone has to bow down to. And if they don't bow down to it, I'm going to throw them in the furnace. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, no, sorry, Rakshak and Benny are not going to do that. So they're like, all right, I'm going to cook you in the chocolate. And of course, God saves them and they don't get burned alive in it. And yeah, but everyone remembers this song because, uh, actually, here's one of the, here's the best tangent about Veggie Tales that you could ever possibly have, which is there's this really catchy, the most catchy non-silly song of Larry song in the history of Veggie Tales. This is the Rackshack and Benny episode. And that's the bunny song where it goes, I don't want no pickles. I don't want no honey. I just want a plate and a fork and a bunny. I don't want a fish and a thing. Anyway, but there's a part of that song in it where they, he goes, I won't go to church and I won't go to school. I won't do any of that stuff because bunnies are cool. And parents were mad because kids thought this song was so catchy that they would go around singing how they weren't going to go to church and they weren't going to go to school. So, eventually, when the first Silly Song with Larry compilation came out, it included the new and improved Bunny song, which removed these lyrics and made it a good guy version. It was like, I will go to church and I will go to school. <laughs> but that doesn't stop these bunnies being cool. <laughs> I feel like this is one of the most important moments in, like... <laughs> This this should really be shown in film schools along with man and the movie camera like how do films work on audiences This is a very important case study But my, sure but what I will say is I got really excited when he goes like yeah this reminds me he's reminds me of my brother with his chocolate factory cuz I'm like oh it's canonically related to the the bunny, the bunny factory uh, with Rack Shack and Benny. But then I get confused because Rack Shack and Benny are Bob, Larry, and Junior. So I'm like, what's going on? Also, in general, the special confuses me because Bob and Larry are playing children, presumably, in it. And they're usually adults. <laughs> I have, I have so, no memory of the Rack Shack and Benny episode, unfortunately. I mean, it's, it's another one of those things where you might be able to play it for me. And then I would have my brain torn open and, and light shining on, down on it. But, like... Other than that, I can't. Ah, I'd have to watch right. it. But watching I'll this makes me want to watch more VeggieTales things. I'll go. I'll go through it really quick. Then the rest, because I want to get back to Bob and Larry. Um, our bus saw Lily. It's his nose hitting. He goes, "That's stupid. That's dumb." He has like this existential crisis where he sings this really lame song about Christmas. <laughs> it's like, 
what? What is the meaning of life now that I'm a toy? He basically goes through the entire arc of Toy Story right then and there just because he heard his nose say something stupid. And then we cut to the silly song of Larry, which we'll get to later because it's in the wraparound. Because it's not relevant to the main plot. And then we cut to Bob, Larry, and Junior. Because this is what I'm talking about where they're... Bob and Larry are presumably children in this storyline. Even though I'm really like, who are their parents? I want to know. Um, and they meet Buzzsaw Louie, who's like, and they tell Buzzsaw Louie, like, the true meaning of Christmas is that we want to buy, our, we want to get stuff. And he's like, that's dumb. Surely someone here knows the true meaning of Christmas. Like, directly quoting Charlie Brown Christmas. And then I think they just go like, oh, let's go ask the grandpa what it is. And then he reads the Tivity story to them. And, um, it's like, okay, great. Like, this is nice. Um, okay. I'm not going to bother summing up the rest of it. Because we'll talk about the climax separately later. Because it really, it is just this. And then it jumps to the climax of it. Um, here's my issue with the special is that I think good Christian media, specifically Christian media like this, where it's designed... Okay, this is going to sound bad, but I'm looking at this from their perspective, right? Is that the point of airing this on TV is you want people to buy the other VHS tapes, right? Perhaps. Ergo, I would say that a better way to go about this is to keep the Jesus stuff in there. Because, of course, that's what Christmas is about. And of course, this is Christian vegetables. And of course, with Charlie Brown, people don't mind that. But I don't think it ever makes a meaningful connection between Christmas is about kindness and giving to it being about... I think it just becomes this thing where it's like, it's about Jesus. And it's like, okay, but like, these kids never really learn that it's about giving. You get what I mean? Like, we do see at the end, they give the teddy bear to Mr. Nazar, but it feels so like, oh, how do we resolve this? Oh, just give him a present, you know? I don't think it works as a special because of this. I don't think, I think it becomes kind of didactic um, where what saves the day is them going on TV and give it, which actually feels very meta to me is that they go on TV to give a message about Christ when none of the, nothing else on Christmas is about it. Uh, I don't know if it's intentional or not, but I do kind of like that aspect of it, but I'm just kind of like, you know, it is kind of like all these parents are like, oh wow, we're really happy now that we know this is about Jesus. And it's like, I think these parents already knew it was about Jesus. They're just not, have, getting through their kids about it and now it's on TV and they believe it which I, again, I think it's kind of fun it's like okay I kind of see where you're coming from because this is on TV <laughs> but mm. I think that's why it ultimately doesn't work to me because it's like it should still be about giving and love and it becomes more primarily because I think even Charlie Brown like you know you have that stuff where it's like about Jesus and God but it is also about like no these people are actually there for Charlie Brown when he needs them to be um, and whereas this one, the payoff is Mr. Nezer gets a teddy bear. It's not really, it doesn't sing as well as it could. I also yeah. bust out Louis a flat character. <laughs> he's very flat. He's like Neo Although he is admittedly, he does have the good joke. He does he's a have... hero that you're meant to project yourself onto. Although I will say that favorite thing about this animation-wise is the cleverness of this is their sixth one. This is their first thing of anyone with appendages. And... The characters that have appendages is incredibly pivotal to the final action in this special. Mm-hmm. If they didn't have the penguins and Basalui, you can't do that ending where like Mr. Nezer's about to die and they all connect their appendages. It's a very smart, like, okay, we made these penguin models, we have Basalui. How are we gonna make this give this something that we haven't given yet in a VeggieTales thing? Alright, let's do this. I do like that aspect of the ending. Mm-hmm. But that's 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 to me why it doesn't work. It's cause it feels too didactic 
to serve both as an advertisement for VHS tapes and to actually serve as a Christmas special on its own. That's my take. I am compelled by your comparison to Charlie Brown, I think, but I don't know. I'm looking, I'm double checking with the plot of Charlie Brown. I'm like, is that really a more organic way of teaching kids about the meaning of Christmas? Because I think Charlie Brown is beautiful, but <laughs> I love I love reading because I, I feel like depression is so, like, new in the world when obviously it's not. And the first sentence of this is like, On the way to join their friends, ice skating on the frozen pond, Charlie Brown confides in Linus that despite all the things he likes about the Christmas season, he is still depressed. <laughs> like, I think it's true. It's what the special's about. Damn, he, damn, he really before is. We go on, before we go on... Well, no, 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 no. Okay, so I think Charlie Brown is the gold standard, even though it is not my favorite Christmas special. My favorite Christmas special is How the Grinch Stole Christmas, obviously. Um, mm. Makes me cry. Like Every year I actually sit down and watch it. Which isn't often anymore, but it makes me cry. Um, it's a beautiful tale. And Charlie Brown doesn't ever make me cry. Charlie Brown does give me that, like those chills at the end where it's like... I mean, I wrote an entire play about the effect of a Charlie Brown Christmas. Let's be real. like that. That is a fact. That the play I wrote in college, this is for the listeners was about a leprechaun who sold soul to the devil for Shamrock Shake. And a Charlie Brown Christmas plays heavily into this idea that, in a way, to me, this is something that always fascinates me, is how media and the connections we have. It's Obviously, this is impressive to me as someone who runs a Pixar podcast, where the whole idea is like, let's talk about this connects to our life. But like how media plays into our lives and our memories and our nostalgia. Um, ergo, a really important part of my play is... Hark the Herald Angels Sing, and how that is used in Charlie Brown Christmas. Um, and in a way, I think this this is missing, because the big moment at, this is, at the end of this is they sing away in a manger, but it's like, I don't know, it doesn't feel as, I don't know. Charlie Brown just feels so sincere to me. And this feels like, in a way also, this feels like one of those things where it's like old, I don't want to be like old people, but like parents are like, oh, my kids, all they want are presents, blah, 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 blah. You know, I don't think it really has much sympathy for the children characters before they discover the real meaning of Christmas. Um, and that kind I of mean, bothers me because I, th- I think this special needs like a Charlie Brown character among the children. I don't think it needs a Buzz Louis. Well, I think I think I like Junior if- Asparagus should be like, I'm not really having fun, guys. <laughs> you know, like- well, it does. I mean, it. I see what you mean. I think. Take I think considering the bumpers and also that it's being told to a kid who kind of has that Charlie Brown perspective is where that comes in. It's it's not it doesn't have that somber mood of a Charlie Brown Christmas, and I don't I it's I I feel so weird because I feel like this is an argument that I'm going to make and look back on and feel like a fool, but I kind of feel like it's an apples and oranges thing. Like well, Charlie Brown Christmas is the drama version of this story. Well, my, my, my response to you would be, can you name me a Christmas special that is great? That does not have a dramatic portion of it. Well, cause the ones that stick out to me in my mind are of course, Charlie Brown and Grinch, which have clearly dramatic moments of them where they get really sad of like the specials growing up. I think about the Hey Arnold Christmas special, which is like, really hardcore emotional at points and i think about um the pinky and the brain christmas special which is very goofy 
until like the end where like you know it's really have you seen the pinky and the brain christmas special no nor the arthur one oh i didn't even say the arthur one the arthur one has sad bits too but i was saying hey arnold but oh uh but the arthur <laughs> well, that, one also the, has whichever a name you said yeah 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 um well the arthur one is good too and the arthur one also has very the arthur one made me cry as a kid because there's a part where arthur um um accidentally breaks his mom's present Mm-hmm. and he's like devastated because he's like i ruined christmas because you know that's what a kid thinks and his uncle's like no you didn't it's like it doesn't he, he's like no you don't understand you can't just tell me i didn't ruin christmas i did like my mom you can't say my mom would be happy or anything because this is what i made i i went for a lot of trouble to get for her so even if she's fine with whatever like bad gift i give her it's um how he's start crying when i talk about arthur on this podcast <laughs> it doesn't matter what gift i gave her because i know i was supposed to give her something better and then at the end the uh, the uncle gives the gift that Arthur broke. He go- went. It revealed he went out and got a replacement one, and then gave the broken one with his name tag on it, saying, "Oh, I'm sorry, we got the same thing, but mine broke." And Arthur's like, "What?" <laughs> it's like it's magical. <laughs> it's, uh, well, um, that's weird. That I don't know. that's that's weird. You describe it that way. That seems a little like a muddled like message about about giving and being happy with what you've given to someone. I mean, but I think it's true though to what kids think. That's the thing is like, I'm, I'm more interested in what's true to like, I don't think it's a model message at all. I think it's correct that Arthur's mom wouldn't care what she got, but like, it's a, it's, it's a message about giving. It's not like, yes, people will be happy with whatever you get them, but it doesn't mean you shouldn't try to get them something good. Like I could get my mom like something that's like, you know, like in real life, like I could get my mom like, Oh yeah, I got you a movie gift card because I, I love going to the movies. Or like the year I got okay, a real example here. There was a year where I gave my mom Isle of Dogs because you like dogs, right? And it's like that was a bad gift. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, that, that, that was a, that was an outright bad gift. Like I did not put much fun into what my mom would want. I was like, oh, Isle of Dogs, sure, all right. Um, and then there's years where I give my mom like I don't know. So like my brother's on this podcast, so I'll be right. Like I don't know. I think it's better. <laughs> This is like the most hypocritical thing to me say. Now I'm getting really off topic, but I think it's okay. I think it's cool to talk about Christmas in general is the idea of a gift list, right? I don't know if your family does this, but my family always does this thing where we send each other our gifts that we want and then we're supposed to follow that list to a T. And I always get mad when, with the exception of some other, like a couple of times when people go off the list because then they'll go off the list. They'll give me a movie I don't really care about or they'll give me like, um... A gift card to a restaurant that's not by me. And it'll be like, what the heck? Like, why did I even bother making a list if you guys aren't going to get me the stuff on the list? Like, you know? Um, mm-hmm. But then there's moments where it's like, oh, cool. There was something I put on the list that I didn't expect to get at all. Because I was like, I know this is expensive, so don't think about getting it. And then I get it. Um, and what I've done recently in recent years is I'll attach the letterbox list of these are the movies I own. Please do not get me anything on this list. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know. I think it's... I I forgot where I was going with this, but I think the idea of giving at Christmas is very complicated now that you're an adult, when you become an adult. And I think like, okay, so at work recently, a kid was showing me their Christmas list and I was like, all right, let me look at this. And it was like all like very like, I want this type of stuffed animal. I want this color of socks. I want this type of thing. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is so like sweet and eat. Like, it's so nice. And it's like the, the most difficult thing on her list is like a Polaroid camera. And it's like, Oh my gosh, this is so... I I always say this about Christmas. I look forward to the day I have kids because I think Christmas will finally be magical again. Because <laughs> I don't think Christmas is magical as an adult at all. 
Other than when I'm at work with the kids like a couple days before Christmas and it's like, yeah, Christmas is almost here. You know, and they're all psyched. But yeah, I, I forgot what point I was making. Mm. You know what I'm going to be doing for Christmas? I'm going to be pretending to be a servant for some rich people. Nice. Yeah, that sounds like the plot, plot of Knives Out 3. <laughs> so... <laughs> that's, what, that's, that's what I'm always saying about Knives Out. It's like, Ryan Johnson, you have it right there in front of you. So if Matthew you McFadden can make an interesting role, movie, damn it. If Matthew um, McFadden plays a, a waiter role in the next one, we'll know where it comes from. They're <laughs> <laughs> talking about me. Mm-hmm. I sense them. I don't know Ryan Johnson's voice. But it's funny. I'm gonna. I, I want to respond to that backwards. I think that for me, gifting has actually become. I don't know. Not easier as an adult. I have a lot less anxiety about it. Um, which is really weird, because some people are gonna hear this and be like, "I've never gotten shit from you," and um, yeah, that's true. I know one person might be thinking that. Yeah. Well, I don't have a lot of. <laughs> Honest, well, here, I don't know. I'm referring to myself, to be clear, but go on. (laughs) Here's here's the story of me and gifts. And it's, I've kind of was not a big fan of it when I was younger. Just gifting, gifting and presents and all that shit in general. Because there was always such a expectation of, I remember, I just hate thank you cards. And I'm sure I'm sure people do. And I don't know like what the deal with that was. I think like when I was younger, so much of what I would get seemed like very thoughtless. And I felt like very un I was like, I've never I never see you all year. And you give me this thing that shows you know nothing about me. And you want me to, like, sincerely thank you for that. And now writing and lying have both gotten easier. But, like, it seemed like a giant imposition and just a real pain in the ass. Um, but now now I actually am, like, genuine, genuinely thankful when people get me things. Like, pretty much whatever it is. Um, my issue with giving gifts, um, is, it more has to do with, like, not having money. Um, Mm. I try, I try, it's, I I feel like I try very hard to, it, it makes, it makes me feel really good when I can do something for someone, like, in the moment. Like, if I can buy someone a drink or if I can, like, pay for a meal or something like that, that really is nice to me. Um, I get kind of nervous about acquiring things. But even, like, I've I've been in relationships now for a lot of the last few years of my life, and that has made giving and receiving gifts a lot easier. Like, I think with... I think I've... I, I I could be better about like giving gifts to people, but I'm kind of ambivalent about getting gifts from people. Like I don't mind physical objects, but I'm always a little bit perturbed by them. So I don't know if it's something I look to give to someone else. But like, well, 
sorry, I'm, I'm, sorry go on. I guess I, I guess I'm just saying that like even even though I would I would like to be in a situation I I would just like to be what what was my original point? I guess I guess what I'm saying is like for me there used to be a whole lot of anxiety about gifts and now it actually seems a lot easier like someone will send me something and I'm just like man I really appreciate this like I know we're all adults and you know we're all struggling together and I really appreciate this this thing that you've given me or or done for me or anything like that um we kind of do we've kind of done like lists and things back and forth I don't know that actually sounds like a nice thing maybe I should I I should I should actually ask some more people in my life what they what they would like because I think that would be my, good my thing that I always think about with this is, this is I don't I hope I'm not repeating myself but it's like I don't know. As an adult, when I give gifts, it's like it. You remember to me. I remember the Christmas like magic as a kid, where it's like, oh yeah, like I I got everything I wanted, and so did my brothers, and blah blah. blah. You know what I mean? Like, and it's something where you want to capture that magic again, because that's just the goal. <laughs> like you know, like that's the goal of every. That's why I always get sad around Christmas. Christmas is never going to be as satisfying as it was when I was ten. It's just a fact. It's just never going to happen um, until I have my own kids and I can try to make them happy. But when you get a really good gift, you're really excited about that gift. And then the person gets it and they're like, oh, thanks. And you're like, so like, to me, I'm like so destroyed by that. Because <laughs> it's like, I was like, this is so good. And they're just like, oh, well, thanks, Danny. And I'm like, what do you mean just, oh, thanks, like you, I you know what I mean. Like, and I know that sounds dumb. It's like it's like it's a competition, but it's not. Uh, very specifically, what I'm thinking about is I won't give them the whole story right here because it might be embarrassing for some people in my family who I don't think listen to this. But so we had a white elephant exchange at our last Thanksgiving, okay? And our white elephant exchange is not like a gag gift. We're supposed to give good gifts, like gifts people will want. Um, and. I forgot about this till like the day before I'm leaving for Thanksgiving. And I very quickly buy Scrabble at like a Walgreens. And I immediately am like, that's stupid. No, I don't want to give a gift. Oh, that, never like, mind. I was very on board for Scrabble. Go on. No, no, no. Because uh, it's a cheap travel Scrabble game. So it's not like good Scrabble. It's like a cheap travel Scrabble game. And I'm like, no one's going to want this. This is dumb. So what I do instead, the next day on my break, because I have to leave for Ohio right after I get off work. So I go on my break. To this weird game store in by where I work, and I buy this fifteen hundred piece puzzle because I remember that my aunts who were going to visit used to love doing puzzles at like the dinner table during Christmas. Um, and I'm like, well, I have three aunts who live there, so one of them will want this. And then what happens is one of my aunts, at the very beginning of it, she's the first one to pick presents up, and there's a rule, you know, don't don't you have to pick the present you take. You know what she does? She grabs mine, shakes it, and goes, oh, this is a puzzle, everyone. Avoid it. And I'm just like, man, like... Oh, well, that's, like, especially awful. (laughs) Well, it's especially awful also because at the end it went to my cousin who has 
difficulty seeing and it's like well we knew he was last so someone else could have taken it you know i'm mad about that stuff it's like it's I'm, wow, the whole I'm idea really sorry, later that's they the were like, people 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 were like to me it's like why'd you bring that i'm like i brought it because i thought people would want it and the only reason people didn't go for it is because people announced what it was before it was there so no one wanted to grab stuff and they knew what it was and then no one took one for the team when it was obvious my cousin was last so this is not my fault this was a good present you are just jerks. <laughs> I got really mad about the entire thing. And I'm still mad about it. Because I don't... Because, th- you know, I went to a lot of trouble to get something that I knew people didn't want to get stuck with. Because you know what I got initially? That I get every stupid year at that gift exchange? I get I get a calendar. I'm never going to use a calendar. I have a phone. And every single year I go there, I get the dumb calendar. And I get so mad about it. At this point, I'm just like, alright, I'm just going to re-gift this at my white elephant exchange at work. Because I'm so tired of it. And I end up getting wine glasses, which are way better. Someone, someone very nicely traded with me. I'm like, good, because I'm not going to use this calendar. I think it's ridiculous that every year this calendar gets put in here. And it's, it's not like a repeat. It's just, it's not a repeat calendar that comes back every year. It's just the idea that someone's like, yo, let's get a calendar. I'm just like, stop it. No one here who's young wants this calendar. I actually, I've come around to calendars when, when my roommates. I don't have were, an office. Hmm. I don't have an office. I say recording in something that is like looks like an office, but I do not have an office. I'm never going to use a calendar. Well, it's just nice wall art. It's not wall art. It, it's, it's like, like an when you're in calendar. prison and you have to write on the walls. It's an office calendar. It's not a wall calendar. Oh, it's oh like I'm kind of baffled by one of the little square ones. Yeah. Oh, it's I like mean, one it of those little tarot older, things. Just so you know sense, what day. Yeah, it, is. it makes sense for like yeah, it makes sense for like my dad or like my mom. But it's like me and my brothers are there. My cousin's there. And I'm sorry. People should not be mad at me for giving a cousin when my next giving a puzzle when my cousin has bad eyesight. If someone tried to give a calendar, what's he gonna do with a calendar too? Like, you know, like you see what I mean? Like, like... <laughs> That's <laughs> I'm sorry, that is so funny. That's like a small it's also joke. Just like, it's just like, like the <laughs> It's just like, what the heck? Like, everyone's trying to blame me for this. When I I went to a lot of trouble to get a really good gift that my aunts would have liked if they picked it randomly, but only got, like, we're like, oh, avoid it because we know what it is. And then it became this big deal where everyone's like, well, someone's got to trade with him so that way he doesn't get stuck with the puzzle because that's a gift he can't use. And it's like, well, no, it shouldn't be. Someone should have taken it because people in this family have always done puzzles at Christmas. And it hasn't changed. Last year when I was there at Christmas, they were doing a puzzle. So it's like... It's just rude. It was, the entire situation felt very rude to me. Yeah. And it, it got me mad, too, because, again, it's, like, one of those things where you, you put so much effort into thinking about something you want to get for Christmas, and then, of course, people, like, people never give the reaction you want. And I know that sounds like, I'm like, yeah, giving giving supposed to make you feel good inside. But it is. It is a part of Christmas. It is supposed to make you feel good. Well, but giving doesn't just make you feel good inside? I guess, I guess that that's, like, a big hit. That you you take some severe damage to your feel good givingness when someone's response is that, but like, oh, I feel like unless there's an extreme case like that, giving actually does make you feel good. I mean, sure it does, and you know what? I'll Even be if very happy. Just like, oh, thanks, whatever. Well, yeah, that's why that's why I'm really bad. I do try to avoid what my brothers like put on their lists, but then it's also like. My older brother, like, never, like, gives a list anyway, so I can't even avoid a list. So, <laughs> and then my younger brother, I usually get him, uh, hopefully he doesn't listen to this, even though I know he does listen to my podcast. Um, I always give him something from the Criterion cell, because I know he actually does like movies. 
So I get him something that I'm like, either I know he's seen and he likes. So last year I gave him Uncut Gems on mm. 4K because he has a 4K player. Because I know he likes it. Um, this year I'm getting him Sound of Metal because I know he likes it too. Hopefully he doesn't listen to this. But I don't think he will. Um, but you know well, what I mean? I get him these movies that are on 4K. Before. Yeah. I'm getting these movies that are on 4K because he has a 4K player and I don't. And they're all stuff that I like. I know you like this. So like, I think this is a cooler gift than me just giving you like a gift card to like a casino or something like that. Because that's usually what he asks for. It's like that I can afford. That's the other thing too is that everyone else in my fit, my, my brothers are in such a higher income bracket to me that they always ask for stuff I can't afford. That's like, you know, it's great. Anyway... If you want to get back to VeggieTales, I'm sorry. I don't mean I didn't mean to make this a referendum on gift giving and like why I'm I get I kind of think like this is good. Gifts. This is what the episode should be about, though. I think this is what like how Christmas is about giving and how it's bullshit. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> well, and this I did want to go. I still wanted to respond to what you were saying backwards. Okay, I think, sorry. Go on. The, well, no, you're fine. I I'm glad that we talked about this. Um, I I'm I'm trying to remember what I was. So the, my Charlie Brown thing, I just want to return to this, okay? Because I still think it's apples and oranges, and I think I don't know. There, there's just I just found so many things that I really, really liked about this thing, and I I think honest honestly, you know what what thing like hit me so much in a really surprising way because. I am not a religious person, and which is weird because I mean, like I have been one, and I'm. It sounds weird being saying this when I'm like 26 or whatever, um, to be like this is my life, um. Although I like it is my life, but the part, the very end, where Jesus, Jesus has not really been in this for a little bit, but. Like the very end, where it might just be in the bumpers too, is when the what are their names? Bob the Tomato, Bob and Larry, yeah, Bob and Larry, Larry yeah. So Bob the Tomato says, um, and remember, kids, what uh, what does he say? He's like, remember, he says kids. it in every episode. Remember, kids, God made you special. He loves you very much. Oh yeah, and I'm like, oh my gosh, like. You know, that's, no, yeah, that actually is always very sweet about Veggie Tales. Is how it ends. Like, yeah, I'm like, man, if you just got rid of all the bullshit, like, that's the nicest thing that you can end with, which isn't even part of the special. Well, um, I don't know if you saw recently. Um, Phil Fisher was on Twitter, who's the creator of Veggie Tales, and he seems like he is like about as good as you'd ex- like. He is better than what you'd expect from someone who made like a multi-million-dollar evangelical like Christian media thing. Because I thought a few day, a few months ago he was like on Twitter he went viral because he was like defending someone who was like talking like anti trans stuff and he's like well really if you think about it Bob and Larry don't even have genders so I don't really have a take on their pronouns <laughs> it was something like something that was very vaguely like arguing with someone who was being anti trans he's like yo knock it off like and I was like whoa like I wasn't even expecting that from him you know and having that in mind like in knowing that like. And hoping that he has that actual thought, those thoughts where he's like, no, these people who are like corrupting Christianity by like being anti-LGBT people who are being, um, you know, um, like, I think it was also during like the abortion stuff. He was like talking about how he's like, uh, I don't think we should be blanket anti-abortion. That's ridiculous. And we should also, even if we don't agree with abortion, we should let people who've had abortions and not try to guilt them 
post them having it at all or even pre having it. And everyone's like, whoa, like these are radical beliefs coming from this guy who we all assumed was very far right evangelical. Mm-hmm. Um, all this to like say is that like reading all that and it's what? <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> but all this to say that like, you know, reading all this and being like, well, yeah, every episode with God made you special and it loves you very much. It's like the opposite of the Harry Potter thing where everyone just kind of assumed the writer of Harry Potter would be a good person. And she's not. She's a bigot. And with this, it's like, you kind of just assume the guy who made VeggieTales would be super bigoted, but he seems very welcoming, which is very reassuring knowing that what VeggieTales is what it is, you know? Yeah. So, and that re- that does, I it's kind of a tangent, but that does relate to my impression of the whole show, which is, I don't know, you say the show is didactic, yes. But I also think that this is like, a show for pe- for kids who are already Christians. I think it's nice that this is just like comforting media for Christian children. It's not about how, you know, di- people who are different are going to like burn in hell or something like that. And Yeah, and that's always how it is. That's what's always good about Veggie Tales. Yes. At least yeah. when I was a child. I don't know what new episodes are like, but yeah, at least when I was a child. Yeah, and also I think like the humor is all of the kind of slapsticky stuff that I like that you can put everywhere and it's not really mean to anybody. I see I see like so much value in this thing that is um what was the movie I I asked you but it was like the Fablemans I was like does it make you feel good when you're done with it? And I feel like, you know, definitely, of course, I want movies that make me feel like shit. And it doesn't make me feel like shit, but there's, like, Charlie Brown Christmas, which is very serious. It has some serious parts. It's like, Charlie Brown Christmas isn't, like, sing-along fun time. But, like, this is sing-along fun time. And I just think it's really cool when there's all this dark, dark stuff that it could be. Uh, I just... That I was so in love with how how much fun this this movie was. I mean, I think all that's fair, and I think also a point that you're making that I really should acknowledge that it's true is that I'm like this is not going to sell DVDs well or VHS as well, and it's like well initially this was just a VHS and they got a deal later on to broadcast on TV, so it's not really the fault of the toy that saved Christmas part that it does not really like it's didactic because to me it's it, it is more just the talking down to children that i think veggie doesn't usually do where it's like oh these kids all they do is want toys and that's the part that really bothers me about it more than anything else um and that the solution is just give them a teddy bear i wish it was i don't want i don't i don't want it to be harder but i don't want it to be as simple as a teddy bear i think it should be something that's more previously set up that he wanted and i think they have time to set it up too um, but you don't think just this is because I actually I think I, I agree with what you're saying, but you don't think that this this show kind of assumes that kids kind of like get that it's goofy. And then it, that raises the question I, of what's the point of the whole thing. But like, you I don't think, think they, kids I don't think, the, like, I don't oh, think this show. I think they know it's silly, but I don't think I think there is a real concern about like these kids are whining and asking for toys. And I don't think there's really any irony to that aspect of it. 
if that makes sense. I don't think there's any um, yeah, I see what joking. You're... I think it's just played very straight, that stuff, which is why I'm very like, mm, I don't know. I see what you mean. I, I do want to say, I have a couple, I know we, I feel like we've gotten to like the meat of the episode already, and now we got to do like the lighter stuff. But I want to talk more about the climax, which first off, before we get into it, I want to point out that on Wikipedia, this is how the end of the episode goes. It, upon c- receiving a teddy bear as a gift, Mr. Nazar, he repents. And the concludes of everyone in Dinkletown, including Mr. Nazar, getting together to celebrate a Christmas party. And I'm like, wait, 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 wait. We skipped the whole bit in this description where there's this big chase scene of them going down a hill really fast. And this is where, like, all that, like, primal merit memory really hit me. Specifically, you already mentioned the joke where it's like, anyone with hands, help! Um, but also, I think very much, like, him using his buzzsaw as, like, a kind of, like, a boat motor on the sled. And it's like, wow, this is all really cool. And, like, this is where all, like, that primal, like, oh, wow, they're wrapping around the tree. And I think this also is where I want to mention something that I think is very relevant to our podcast, but not really about like our personal connection. But what I thought was really interesting about this in general is how there's all these animation errors that you don't care about when you're a kid. Like very specifically, we haven't got to the Hosanta bit yet, but like how they just plop the hat on that. They don't care that it's like blending through it or like for a second, the stocking flickers on the, uh, the side of the building. And it's like, well, we don't care. We've got other stuff to worry about. And I, I kind of dig that. I think yeah. it's kind of cool that they're like, no, nah, we don't care. Uh, we, we got other stuff to worry about and kids won't care. And it's like, yeah, they're right. I didn't care as a child. I was like, wow, okay. Um, and they cared more about like making it funny. Yeah. Which I do think is admirable. Especially considering this is like way lower budgeted than the Pixar stuff. And like probably anything else right now. Besides DreamWorks and Pixar. And yet yeah. it probably stands, it stands up. Like it's a, it's longer than any of the Pixar shorts are at this time too. And it's. I think it looks pretty good for what they're doing, being very independent computer animation. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't want to say that it's... I'm I'm very cautious about drawing direct lines from past work to whatever people make at, at any one point, but it makes me wonder, is there some... Is there something there when we think about the VeggieTales guys were doing puppet theater before they made VeggieTales, and a lot of the Pixar guys were students who were making things which emulated Disney movies. I don't know. There's something There's something that I, I'm thinking about this now as I'm doing a lot of live shows for people of different ages, and I'm wondering if there's something about, like, being in the, in the, the, the trenches of live entertainment, like I'm some guy who's full of his own shit, but, like, is there something to being in the trenches of doing live entertainment that changes your approach to things and, and what you value when you're putting out the product, an entertainment product like that, versus like students who are emulating Disney and they want to eventually be technically as good as Disney? I don't know. I don't. I don't want to be like. Uh, I. I think. I think the guys that big idea did know. We're very aware. Like we're not going to be as big as Disney. I think their goal eventually was like, let's try to be like blue sky animation. Because mm-hmm. that's what happened eventually when they failed. was like they made a mid-budget computer anime movie that went over budget. Because it was supposed to be low budget, but it became mid-budget uh, computer anime movie that bombed. Because they didn't really have a hook that made it... It's kind of like that thing that you see now when it's like... um, 
what is the movie? How to Train Your Dragon, the sequels of it. Um, I remember they all underperformed at the box office compared to expectation. The reason that people always gave was, well, there's there's a TV show at home that looks not the same quality, but close to it. So why would these people go pay to see this like on the big screen? And I think that was the issue with Jonah VeggieTales movies because it didn't have a hook. That didn't just be like, why isn't this just at home? You know? Yeah. But it was also too expensive to just put out at home, too. So it was like, they, they got like, it was just an issue. Um, but I don't know if they were ever chasing Pixar, but I do think it's interesting to have this idea of, they're not from Lucasfilm initially. They're yeah. not from effects originally. But they do care, like, we want kids to be engaged, we want kids to learn about God. And honestly, they succeed. For, like, even if I'm like a little disappointed by this, I do. My one of my other takeaways from this is, I it shocked me that it was thirty minutes long. Let when you remove the uh, even less when you remove the silly song from the actual story. It that just honestly like blew my mind because it was like this was such a big scoping story to me as a child. Like it was a full hour long special. But it's like no, it's about everything happens very quickly. It kind of lacks the main character. It's very messy, and again, it's something we're like, it's very messy by VeggieTales standard, but it's not like I've watched a VeggieTales thing in years, but I don't know, it's very interesting to me viewing it from that aspect, where it's like, now I might be like a little like, this is not great, but it works for me as a Christian kid growing up, mm-hmm. and I remember there were a couple other ones that I really like, earlier in this episode, I was like, here are the songs from the Rack Shack and Benny episode, I haven't seen it since I was like eight, but I still remember the songs from it. And like in this thing, when I can't, uh, I can't believe it's Christmas. When I started playing, I was like, "Ah, oh, yeah, this song. I remember this song." And to a lesser extent, "Oh Santa," but I was like, said, "Oh Santa's been on my Christmas rotation for a while, so that's not as impressive." That I know that song. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a very and I know we mentioned this before when we talked about VeggieTales briefly before. I think the key reason VeggieTales is successful and like people look at it nostalgically. Isn't just that, like, oh, the the car- the guy behind it actually seems like he was semi decent. What a surprise that like this guy is semi decent with so many other people from our childhood are terrible. But I think it's also just like, yes, they were didactic at the end when they need to be, but generally they focused on humor. They were very silly compared to other Christian stuff at the time, like the other Christian stuff that you could get at like Christian videos were like. Bible Man, or like a puppet show where like it's just about God. And this, there was always like their silly song of Larry, where there is no moral. Um, there maybe was like one Bible story in it that was told with like, oh, they're the chocolate factory. And then there was like one where it's like a story about a guy who goes up the hill and comes down with all the bananas. Um, that one I remember very distinctly. <laughs> I think if I ever watch whatever film that is, I'm just going to think about the men that went up the hill and came down with all the bananas. <laughs> And then it's like, I don't know, I don't wanna I don't wanna wax too poetically about these Christian videos I watched as a child, but I do think there's there's merit in them, much as like there's merit in Arthur, in the sense that like I can revisit it and still get chuckles from that that don't just come from nostalgia. Because I do think the joke at the end that made me laugh really, where it was like, he thought about getting it surgically removed. I think that is legitimate, like, haha, that's funny. Or uh, and then there's stuff in too where it's like we all alluded to earlier, but we haven't talked about the wraparounds yet, where it's like Oh, he's coming to us live from the Holy Land. <laughs> it's like, what the? I'm like, okay. All right. I I love that it happens because he lost the movie. 
Well, I, I love about that is the reveal that the guy just thought it was pizza. And I'm like, well, oh, I want a 35 yeah. millimeter print of the toy that saved Christmas now. Just so I can reenact this and play like this part digitally, but then switch to the 35 millimeter print. So during the, during the actual special. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, that was a good one, too. I remember now I'm remembering the one where there it's like Star Trek. And it's those two pairs that are there. And, like, no one likes those pairs because they're terrible. They're terrible pairs. Because, okay, now I'm opening it up. And it's like, okay, so, like, the first one was, like, where's God? Where? Yeah, I think it's the first. Yeah, it's the first one's where's God? Where I'm scared. Where, like, the first half is Junior is scared of the monsters in his bed. And it's like, oh, well, inside the mo- inside the closet, Bob and Larry take the monster out. And he's like, oh, I'm just an actor. And then they just... Sing about how God is bigger than the boogeyman. And the next half is King the story of King David and the lions. So, you know, it's like... I don't know, like... There's merit in VeggieTales. I'm not... I'm saying there is. Good. Yeah. I, I agree. Do you want to yeah, talk about the I wraparounds mean, a little more? Okay. I don't know. There's kind of not... There's not that whole much to talk about them. I guess the silly songs with Larry qualifies yeah, as one. But that's... We basically summed it up. Is they're on a stage, the theater, and they're going to broadcast the movie live from the theater, and then they lose the movie. So all of the wraparounds are about them trying to find the movie, which I kind of think doesn't make any sense, because you're watching the movie, and then at the end they're like, well, you saw the movie, didn't you? And it's like, yeah. But, but like, it within, it's, it's perfectly fine as itself i kind of like that it's on youtube as only the wraparounds because i think it makes more sense without the movie there um yeah and that's a <laughs> what and well what i like say? i want to talk very specifically about the silly song mm. um where there's two parts of it that made me giggle even though one of them was just because i misheard the line it was, I thought when Paw Grape enters, I thought they said the Northman enters, and I immediately thought of the new movie, the Robert Eggers movie. Ah, like, <laughs> oh, there he is. But then, of course, you gotta acknowledge like the best joke of it, which is, of course, um, at the door is a member of the Internal Revenue Service, and it's the Peach, the Peach yeah. who only ever shows up for dumb gags with Larry, such as. The Peach's Got Hair, which is like the most iconic silly song with Larry. I'm not well versed in the silly songs. Well, there's the silly song of Larry. It's the most iconic one. It's routinely the best silly song of Larry. It's called the hairbrush song. And it's just Larry going, oh, where is my hairbrush? Oh, where is my hairbrush? But then it's like, Junior's like, you don't have any hair. And then Bob goes, I gave it to the Peach. Because he's got hair. <laughs> <laughs> and the beach shows up and he just goes, because after all these things, it's like, he goes, oh, where is my hairbrush? And it's like, no fair, no hair for my hairbrush. And it's like, no fair, no hair, no where, no. And then eventually the peach shows up and he's like, just goes, thanks for the hairbrush. <laughs> and that's, that's all the peach says. <laughs> it's good jokes. It's funny. It's- um, But... The other thing I wanted to say about the silly song with Larry kind of goes back to the thing I was saying where it's like these things aren't afraid to be silly. But what I think is actually very radical about this. And this is this is really funny because I'm like, there's one thing that's very radical about this particular episode is Christian media. Is and I have friends of mine growing up, um, Luke and Drew, who both of which will eventually 
guests on this podcast who have a very similar opinion to me, like being very Christian, um, like you can only watch VeggieTales type of thing. And I remember being shocked when I talked to them because I met them actually in middle school. Uh, I remember being shocked when I talked to them. I think it was the second year I knew them. The first year I didn't care enough to ask. But I was like, so what are you guys being for Halloween? So I was like in middle school in eighth grade, we can still dress up as Halloween. He's like, oh, we don't do Halloween. I was like, what do you mean? They're like, oh, our mom doesn't want us doing it. And I was like, what? <laughs> you know, you know, like when you, when you are like, because the thing was like, even the homeschool people at my church still did Halloween. So I was like, what? What do you mean you don't do Halloween? And all this to say is, I think there's a very weirdly radical sense here where it's like, we have this bit in our Christmas special for Christianity where our character believes in Santa. And although it's obviously Bob dressed up as Santa, we're not saying Santa isn't important or Santa is bad. We endorse Santa. And I think that's very interesting to me that we make time for Santa in this very Christian, non-secular setting. Yeah. That's like, nah, Santa's important too, guys. <laughs> like, you gotta leave out your cookies for him. You gotta like, you're like it's still all there. And I'm like, this is really cool that this is here to me. Mm-hmm. And it is really funny too. I, I agree with it. I actually, I don't think I, there, there was like Christian media in my life, but it was never... My my Christian upbringing was like very liberal, and then you would like poke it, and then some crazy shit would happen. But like for the most part, I wasn't, I I was never around anything like that where it was not that I can remember anyway. Right now that it was like oh people weren't dressing up for Halloween or whatever. So it was I'm just saying it was no no shock to me that they would have Santa in their children's Christian media. Now we argue the merits of Santa. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> mm-hmm. Good or bad? Good. He sees bad. you when you're sleeping. Now fight. Uh, I have a question. Yeah. Who um, depicts Santa then in your version of this? What? In our argument, are you talking about Tim Allen Santa or are you talking about Bob Tomato Santa? Talking about, I cannot understand you. <laughs> Uh, you remind me of earlier today. There was a kid at my job. Um, I can tell the story, so I won't use anyone's name. Uh, but one of my coworkers walks in and is like, "Can I play Uno?" And we're like, "Yeah, sure, we'll deal you in." And then she goes, "I think that you're all that's this coworker. I bet you're all scared of me. I'm gonna win this so much. You're all so scared." And this kid just goes, "What?" It <laughs> sounds like a moment from Succession. Completely lost at why this this woman, this kid barely knows, just goes, I'm going to beat you and you're scared of it. Well, it's because, well, we have a, a poor internet sometimes. I bet, I feel like that kid was being wise, <laughs> perhaps, in a good way. That, seem, that seems so relatable, actually. Like, someone <laughs> comes up and starts giving you shit and you, you can just be like, I need to reset the situation. <laughs> what? Just a flat what? <laughs> Great. <laughs> Works really well. Yeah. I don't know if I have a favorite Santa. Well, Do you? Well, let me tell you a story about Santa. It's going to be our closer, unless you really want to talk more about this. Is no, that we, can, we should up, close. Growing up, the last classic Christmas movie came out when I was eight years old. Do you remember what that movie was? When you were eight years old... Elf? What do you think is the last? Yes, Elf came out. And the commercials for Elf were really good. I was very excited for it. I wanted to see it because I was an eight-year-old who wanted to see the new kids movie no matter what. 
And I'm like, Dad, can we go see Elf? My dad goes, I don't want to see it. It looks very disrespectful to Santa Claus. <laughs> I feel like you've told me this before. <laughs> and I'm just like, what? And it's one of those things where he also didn't want us to see the first Shrek movie because of this, even though our aunts took us anyway. And eventually we watched it at home. He's like, oh, no, that was good. And all this to say is to jump back to another story I'm pretty sure I've told this podcast before. This is three years after the Ron Howard Grinch movie comes out. My dad was bummed that, that I dragged him to a different movie instead of him seeing it. So if the Ron Howard Grinch movie is respectful to the Grinch and Elvis is respectful to Santa Claus, I don't, I don't know what's going on there. I love my dad, but what? <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> well. All right, that's Christmas. You excited for Christmas? Um, Someday around Christmas, I think. I'm gonna, I'll am gonna. i do a little something for me, but it really is just about working right now. Are well, you doing anything? My might see a couple movies. I'm in charge of figuring out the movies for Christmas, and it's actually going to be really tough, because I don't know what we're going to see, because my mom hates Avatar. Mm-hmm. My brothers actually want to see Avatar, so maybe we'll just say, Mom, you got to come with us and wear these 3D glasses for three hours. But Also, mm-hmm. I have a feeling, I have a gut feeling that by the time we choose to see Avatar, though, we'll look at the uh, showtimes, and it'll be like, all the seats are gone. So we'll be like, well, never oh, mind. God. I forgot. I forgot that we're gonna have to wear those damn glasses oh, to watch Avatar. Blame Jimmy Cameron for waiting 13 years to make this movie and yet not figuring out a way. Put it in our to... eyes. Actually, we should be mad at the studios for not investing in that like glassesless 3D that like the 3DS used. Well, I I I truly forgot until this moment it will probably be in 3D and we have I to mean, wear the those whole glasses. Point of it is 3D. Whole point of it is the 3D. Yeah, I just like none of the none of the, I was like we're all talking about the trailers that we've seen and none of it, that's been in 3D and we're all talking about like the water effects and oh my gosh oh, it's well, going to be in 3D. I, but remember I I saw it at the remastered version where I got a clip of it in 3D so it was like aha. So mm-hmm. to me I'm like yes, I know what it looks like in 3D already. So. I don't even hate I don't you know I'll wear I'll wear the glasses or whatever but it's it does it seems like another era, you know. Well, that's a that's a throwback. It's so it took so long for this movie to come out that now it's like, oh, I guess it is a nostalgia sequel because it took that long. <laughs> it's like, guys. Originally it was scheduled for twenty fourteen and it wasn't, but now it's like, oh, dang, it took so long that nostalgia is aboard. All oh, right, what um, do you want to give? Are we gonna give something to the toy? Okay. Yeah, I want to give this a multi layered cake, and I want to put like pop rocks on the outside of it, and. I want it to be like covered in frosting, but not like the airy frosting, like the thick frosting that I like. And I want it to be an ice cream cake because that's my favorite kind of cake. I just I want to give this one a real nice thing. I'm gonna give it a gift that is really something I thought long and hard about as a good gift, and that is a 1500 piece scrapple, uh, 1500 piece puzzle. Classic, classic should. Danny, g- yeah. giving, giving the gift that requires hands to something that doesn't have hands. <laughs> I didn't even think about that. Yes. <laughs> Why does this keep happening? <laughs> <laughs> well, Buzzsaw Louie could use it. Good. What What are we doing next time? Well, we will be covering for a New Year's special another thing that is not a detour, not canon, but... It will be a sequel to a film that's been over a decade. The movie is over a decade old. So what that movie is, you'll find out next time. Wink, wink.
Nudge, nudge. But let me tell you, it's a movie we definitely talked about on our podcast before. Yep. Yeah. I think Secret we've actually mentioned time. both the possible movies in this episode. So What? <laughs> I think we've actually mentioned both the possible movies in this episode. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so It'll be one of those. We're not yeah. sure yet. Yeah. Depends on many but, things. But Yeah. Yeah. All right. All right. Veggie Tales. Remember, kids. Can't sing our way out. Oh, that's right. We oh, can't. Yeah. I told do it, you. Do it. Do it. Say it. Um, remember, kids. Um, God loves you and you're special. <laughs> I think that's God nice. made you special. And he loves you very much. Oh, did I do it wrong? Bye. Yes, she did. But Looking for the Ocean is produced by Mark Young and Danny Vincent. Our original artwork was done by Sarah Knopf, and each episode is edited by me. If you'd like to be notified about new episodes, you can find us on Facebook at Looking for the Ocean of Pixar Journey, on Twitter at Pixar Journey, on Instagram at Looking for the Ocean Pod, and on our website, lookingfortheoceanpixar.podbean.com. If you want to know what I'm up to or find me on social media, you can head over to markyoungperformer.com. And if you'd like to see all my takes on all the movies, you can find me on Letterboxd at Blankman's. If you'd like to hear me on another podcast, I also have The Snub Club, a podcast about film history. We'll see you next time. See you next time.